Hey everyone, just wanted to check in before the podcast started, before you hear that random intro where we just start rolling and give you guys some information about what's going on. Um, please follow us if you already haven't um, at One Last Point on any social media, One Last Point Podcast. You can find us there at onelastpointpodcast.com. Also, a cool thing that we've started is a Discord server. So if you're looking to join the conversation, if you're looking to see what we're doing, chat with us, send different things, um, go check out our Discord where we have a growing intellectual, uh, a growing community of uh, our questing intellectuals. So yeah, follow us there, join our Discord, and we hope you enjoy this, uh, another episode of One Last Point. So what's up with that? Yeah, so, okay, I was, um, I was meeting up with, like, a homie out in Arizona, and, like, mm. we were just chilling, vibing, you know, I haven't seen them in, like, forever, so... Mm. We were just hanging out, and um, one of their friends came over, and we were hanging out with them, like you know, super cool. Yeah. And like, and like, it was one of you know their like girlfriend like type um yeah. situations, and you know, we were just talking, and like, she ended up being like a freaking like big shoe head. Mm-hmm. Like she had all the newest like, you know, Jordan ones, mm-hmm. new like she's like a high beast type person. Oh, damn. Without being like you know like this famous you know like patchy type mm-hmm. type vibe mm. and uh, and you know me being a little bit of a shoehead myself like more just like a Jays fan like my brother being a Jays fan mm. um, I was just kind of like like what else do you have so like we ended up going to like her apartment just all of us mm. and you know I took a little bit more interest in her into it and she was showing like everything she, like, she had like these freaking genuine like Jeez. like 800 to 1500 dollars shoes yeah. and like we were talking about like the off-white you know mm-hmm. stuff like that and she's like i actually have an off-white case and i was mm-hmm. like there's no way like mm-hmm. absolutely not and like she's like no like check this out so she like goes into like her cabinet and like opens it up like it was just like this other like generic brand phone case and she pulls it out she like look like gives it to me and like looks at it, and i look at it, i'm like holy shit like mm-hmm. It's a genuine, and I was like, is this, is this genuine? She's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, it is 100%, like, I think it costs, like, $199. Yeah, they're, like, 150 retail yeah, 100, plus yeah, tax. Yeah, and, like, just she, for that case? Just for the case. The phone case. Yeah. The phone case. The socks are $50 for one. Yeah, pair. it was, like, a, yeah, she said it was, like, 100, uh, she told me it was, like, 175 Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, there's no way. She's like, yeah, but I don't put it on my phone anymore, because, like, like, a coffee stain I got on it. Mm. Like, there's this tiny, like, little stain, like, right here. Dude, Very I didn't even small, notice that. Super small. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, like, oh, there's, this, there's this little coffee stain on it. And, uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't use it anymore. And I was, like, and, like, me, and I was a little intoxicated at the point. So, mm. I was, like, I was, like, well, if you don't use it, can I, like, she's, like, you want it? And I was, like, yeah. <laughs> and so, she's, like, all right, you can have it. And literally, like, wow. from there, like, I for just. For free? For free. That's insane. And I just got it. And I've That's never insane. taken it off since. That's so it's like a genuine off-white case. Yeah, I saw it. And I was like, "Huh, that looks like it looks like one that Virgil would make for off-white." But I didn't think I didn't know if it was real. So yeah, no, it's 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 sick. yeah, it's real, authentic. Well, uh, it's crazy. Well, you want to explain when it? Well, what it like? What makes that unique? Why is that? Why is this off-white? What's unique about it? Why? Why is why is it's, that like a? It's honestly commodity? like it, it's the combination of every single thing that you see on it that makes off-white. So like what's, what it oh, is. what's on it's it that Nike makes it? So explain, yeah, explain it to me. Like, why would this be? Yeah. Something? So like off-white, it, it's almost like a supreme type hype brand. Well, they'll like collab with certain products, but like make it a little bit different than what that product actually is. Like for like quote unquote like the hype in a sense. Mm-hmm. So like when you see like a when you see like a off white Nike collab, like yeah. obviously you know you have that, that famous Nike swoosh. So what 
off-white, you know, will do is, is, like, break that mold, but, like, still keep it the same to, like, what you know it. So, like, when yeah. you look at this case, it's a broken Nike sign. It's a, it's a broken swoosh. But you know that broken swoosh only to be from off-white. It's almost like a... It's almost like a designer brand deal. Yeah. Like this. So, like, you see the like a regular Jordan doesn't have air right yeah. there. It doesn't have that patch. It do, the thing isn't coming off. Right. It's but, like a... So, it, they're making it... They're modifying the original classic with yeah, the but consent. They're, but, but they're, yeah, but they're releasing it with Nike. So, exactly. it's like a designer. So, it's a designer. Yeah. Imagine, okay. like, on the inside. Imagine, right like, there. a brand deal. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, you see, like, Supreme Louis Vuitton. Supreme will not necessarily mess around with, like, Louis Vuitton's brand. Off-White will. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you see, like, those Supreme Louis Vuitton bags, it's really just a Louis Vuitton bag with the Supreme logo on it. Yeah. Like, that's all Supreme needs to do. But Off-White kind of takes it one step further. And, like, they'll make that original brand they partnered with, but they'll create a separate new design, but you can still see the original brand that that partner has. Like, right. with Nike, you know, or with Jordan, or, like, the famous, like, zip tie. It's That zip tie is almost like a, it's like the, you know, the, like, the Chevy sign or, like, the Toyota yeah. sign. It's like, whenever yeah. you see a zip tie, you know it's off-white. Remember, you know, I had one on my keys. You did, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know it's off-white. You know it's going to be that much more not necessarily expensive but just like because it's that it's that exclusivity to it it's gonna be more expensive but (laughs) yeah like not only but also you know but but that exclusivity but it but also the fact that it's made by the brand the initial brand exactly that's the part so you're still paying for the quality of that original brand Mm -hmm. so like when you're saying like people are like they slap a supreme on it well, Supreme itself is the collective idea of, like, I'm in this fashion trend. Right. And you, you know, but then it's also making the quality of why Louis V is Louis V, you know, right? Exactly. Okay. It's like, you know, Supreme only collabs with brands that have, like, that high reputation of being mm-hmm. a very quality brand, like the North Face, Louis Vuitton, all these, like, you know, famous... Champion. Champion. Like, even though Champion, like, got, like, that it, late it bus, went, like, it went really, from It went from like, a Target brand to, to a, yeah, 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 Supreme brand. Dude, the funny yeah, part is, is, you know, me and Justin um, made our letters off Champion. Like, some of our, no our own Champion. We have a bunch. And, like, That's crazy. obviously, like, Champion was getting big then. But, yeah. dude, like, I would go to Dick's and, like, I had, like, we had Champion shit and it was just... Or like yeah, lay around the house. Yeah. Or like you're gonna go when sweat I was it. a kid, I hated wearing champion, champion because everybody was, knew it was like that Target brand. Yeah, that I was, was like, this cheap. is like this is like, was Walmart actually. Yeah, was it actually Walmart? Walmart. <laughs> Even worse at that point. That yeah, and but that's what Off White will do. But like I, I like Off White. You know, not I don't like it more than Supreme in like any kind of way of like wearing it. But like I like what they did in terms of what like these new businesses and companies are doing it's like you know positive disruption or just like disruption within the company it's like they'll do a brand deal where they'll collab and like make this really cool design but not only do they do that they'll they're able to disrupt that actual logo that makes that brand what it is Mm -hmm. and make it into their own thing with that collab hence like the broken swoosh Mm -hmm. which i think is like one of the coolest things that off-white has which is why it's like one of the most famous things and like also air Everybody knows that Jordan symbol to be Air Jordan. Right. But people only call it Jordan now because that's what the brand is. It's the Jordan brand. It's not Air Jordan anymore. But it was initially Air Jordan. It was initially right? Air Jordan. So you bring back the quotes to make it like, oh, this is Air Jordan. Yeah. This is like the Air Jordan shoe. So like it's almost like it's a 
it's like making fun it's of it. It's a commentary on the culture of the brand. Exactly. Would you say? It's like it's a commentary on it. It's making fun of it, but then also like being a hundred percent a part of it and immersed in it. So it's almost like the outside and the inside all can I all combining into one, which is what really makes the brand sick and which really makes people even if you're not a shoehead, even if you're not into the hype or into wearing these kinds of brands you know what off-white is is. and you see those quotes and you think immediately you think stock x you think only bids and asks and this is like Mm. the only way to get it Mm -hmm. you know which is still like the thing that i think of i was just lucky enough to come across it and now i'm never taking this phone case off no yeah and even when the phone goes out of fashion like you're still gonna have the case i'm still gonna have the case and like that thing could be framed dude you can feel it you can if it's in you know, good condition. And of course, like minus the little coffee stand, that still, this still can make money. Yeah. In a at sense. least like a hundred bucks. At least. Because that, that coffee stain is like unnoticeable. Right. Like, like it's probably it, the fact that yeah. like if you collect and you're really into it, it exactly. would bother, bother yeah. you so much that like owning it and putting it on it's like those people that buy the thing the really expensive items but never wear it because they don't want to get any stains on it because if they do they know that their value goes down but then what's the point of buying it if you're not going to wear it exactly and like you know me loving the brand i'm not and especially with this one i'm not you know the one that's going to be like upselling it in a sense like i don't Mm. need to upsell this one because i know it already has a coffee stain on it and, and the upsellability or the capability is probably not there. Mm. So, like, I, I'm going to use it every single day of my life and then, yeah. you know, tell the story whenever I can. And and I, I love telling the story. It's so funny how, like... And I, I met this friend. Like, I went to Arizona. That was the very first time meeting them. Mm. Like, we were just... We kind of, like, got connected because of photography. Actually, because one of my TikToks, like, mm. blew up. Mm-hmm. And they found my TikTok that blew up and then reached out to me. And that's when I was like, hey, like, I'm down to, like, mm. you know, shoot with you. Yeah. And, like, and, like, you know, collab with you. And that was my very first time ever meeting them. So, like, if my TikTok never blew up, I would have never got this yeah, case, yeah. which is so, crazy to so, think about. So, so, speaking of TikTok and yeah. and all that, before we get into that, uh, yeah. let's let's get, let's intro who you are because you've been speaking for a little while. Just but a little uh, bit, you know? first <laughs> off, welcome everyone again to another episode of One Last Point. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Armon, and I'm here with my co-host and lifelong friend, Daniel. I, think, I thought you were going to say it. Well, I don't know. I always kind of want you to, like, introduce, but, you know, awkward intro again. Yeah. Um, how you doing, Dan? Good. Um, just been school, because school just started, so. Good. Working on my computer, doing schoolwork, which sucks, but. Nice. What's, what's, the, what's the background of? Uh, there's just a bunch of different, like, pictures I saw that there's, like, nature and, like, uh, cool ass like architecture and architecture yeah. that there's like 15 of them that i found on the internet that i've have it moving around so nice. it will change a couple times by the time we're here but yeah nice it's gonna be nice to have in the background yeah. um and so we're, we also have here uh, a ne- our next guest i don't know what number guest you are but you're on the 23rd episode Heck yeah. 23rd episode of One Last Point, so congratulations. But introduce yourself, sir. Yeah, um, so my name is Ryan Hoffman. Um, I'm originally, what, from Southern California, Rancho Cucamonga, to be specific. Uh, went to University of Laverne, was lucky enough to be a, a part of Phi Delta Theta with, with Armand here, and uh, yeah, just kind of here to have a good time. Yeah. I guess, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we brought, you know, Ryan's here because of... Uh, 
we reached out a while ago and it just fortuitously happened today That's but facts. i think mm-hmm. it's you know it's been a pretty good we've had a pretty good day so far we're looking to you know i think ryan you have a lot of wisdom to give Appreciate to people that. whether it be motivation knowledge of because I feel like we haven't even tapped into the wealth of knowledge you know on history at all, and that was on purpose. But that's crazy. Um, yeah, just we talked about one thing for a long time where when we were hanging out. Yeah, and I was like, I know that there's going to be a lot more to talk about yeah. when we get to <laughs> when we get here to the really? table. Yeah. So okay, yeah, for cause, sure, because that's where the table. You know, that's all like uh, where everything. I think it's good. Uh, I think we've kind of figured out that um, interacting with people that maybe I'm not familiar with or Dan's not familiar with before in some manner just brings down the tension to where like absolutely we come here it's like we, we've been friends for like ever at this yeah. point you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah um so That's Ryan's funny. here with us so looking forward to that but I guess Ryan yeah before I ask you the question I ask every guest uh, what's up with TikTok how did, how did you blow up? What did you post? What you know? Yeah. Where did you get into it? Yeah. So oh my gosh, I remember. Um, and what's your at too? Let's say it right now. So, so yes, yeah, so my up. at is Ryan Hoffman 007. So Ryan Hoffman 007. That's an at that I've had where I first started on Twitter back in I think 2009, 2010, Damn. and uh, I just loved the 007 because it was like James Bond. It was mm-hmm. like my name, you know. So it, it always stuck. It yeah. stuck through Instagram, stuck through TikTok. How many people did you introduce yourself as Hoffman? Ryan Hoffman. Oh my god! Actually, you know what? Nobody. <laughs> it really just stayed like on Instagram. Like everyone was just always like, "Oh yeah, like you're like the 007 thing." And I was yeah. like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Why?" And I was like, "I don't know." It, just, it sounded cool. I said, Dude, I was 11, 12, but like yeah. 13 years old at the time. Sorry, but uh, yeah, no, and, and it just stuck. So that yeah, that's my TikTok username. Um, how I blew up. Oh my gosh, this is always so funny because like. TikTok really started. I remember we, you know, we always got the ads on Snapchat when we were scrolling through the stories in like 2018. We always saw like those four dudes dancing together with the cups and they smashed the cups, and we were like, "Yeah, we're not fucking downloading this." Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow, like right when 2020 started, not even like the bad part of 2020, but like when 2020 started, everybody was like, "Yeah, like why not get on TikTok?" You know, started just watching the videos, everything like that. And, uh, at first I, I, like, I didn't post, but, like, really, like, once quarantine hit, I was like, oh, shit, like, the For You page is actually kind of sick, where, like, you can really go viral for anything. It doesn't yeah. matter, like, what you post. Yeah. You, can, you can just get organic views without having to, like, put hashtags or without having to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's actually kind of sick. So, <laughs> it was always, like, this, like, and with me and this one consultant, we, it was like our life dream and goal to like get TikTok famous by the end oh, of like, <laughs> by the end of summer 2020. Well, well, when you were, you were kind of stuck in a room in Ohio yeah, during that right. time, right? Exactly. Okay. Like they finally let us go back in May because COVID looked at that point like it was going away. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, because like the media wasn't reporting it as much because of everything that was happening late May, early June. Yeah. Um, you know, and, like, since the media could only focus on really, like, one thing in terms of a headline, COVID really wasn't that said headline. So when that was happening, everybody felt like, oh, like, COVID's not really a thing anymore. So Fidel let us kind of go back to mm-hmm. Ohio. And right when we were all back, since we were all quarantining together, um, we were like, yeah, no, we're going to get fucking TikTok famous. Yeah. You know, we're <laughs> we're going to do it no matter, like, I don't care what it, like, what it takes. And during that whole summer, like, all these TikToks being posted, not one of us got famous at right. all. Like, <laughs> they were just duds every single time. And I, and I think it was because, like, we were trying to make it this comedy thing. 
you know, these stupid, like, little things. The skits, right? Weren't you guys doing, yeah. like, little skits? Yeah, they're kind of, like, seen them. You know, skits, trends, any single thing that we thought, like, that would finally, like, make us go viral mm-hmm. never worked. But my first, like, you know, quote-unquote viral video was actually just, like, a random, like, I was at Bryce Canyon. This was when I was just traveling after Fidel. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was traveling with, with, like, one of my best friends who also quit at the same time as me. Um... I just posted, like, this random video that was, like, a, this, like, audio trend where it was, like, you know, post, like, the, your most recent video mm-hmm. um, with this sound, and it'll, like, go perfectly to it, and, like, it honestly did. Like, mm-hmm. it, it went, like, perfectly with the sound. I'm not gonna lie, like, you know, I kind of, like, finessed it to make it mm-hmm. sound, like, really perfect. Right, yeah, but yeah. It, it inherently fit before Exa- you, like, without, yeah, like, exactly. yeah. And it was crazy because, like, for four days, it only got maybe 200 views. Like, that's it. Yeah. But then I posted this other TikTok where it was, like, use this sound to show off, like, your graduation. But, like, for me, I was like, well, I'm not going to use it for graduation. I'm just going to show off, like, the self-portraits that I've taken. Yeah. And that, like, got, like, 75,000 views maybe within, like nine hours and then finally like the following kind of like started building up but then that first video that only got 400 somehow those those initial seventy-five thousand went to that first video and saw it and then it blew up that video to get to like forty-five thousand. okay so they just kind of all it kind of all hit at once and like from there it was like a slow like following build from like two thousand three thousand four thousand and i used that trend maybe two times in a row Mm -hmm. and maybe probably built maybe like up to six thousand followers oh so are you do you like post all the time on tiktok i don't which is which is probably why i don't have like which is why i'm like i'm not actively like building as much yeah um but there's this one tiktok that i posted and like still people like tell me to this day like it was like one of the coolest things it was literally just out of a whim i remember i posted it one time and it didn't do good Mm -hmm. so i deleted it and I posted it another time with, like, a nude direction. Mm-hmm. And I, because before I was just like, here's some wallpapers. And I posted it, you know, got a little bit of traction. Um, but it didn't do as good as I wanted it to. I, I think I know, because you posted those pictures. You've had some of those yeah. ones for years. And I like, I remember there's yes. one of the ones I've always said I liked. It's the rev- the river in the, the red. The photo. Yeah, and it's the red, it's a red forest with the ravine kind of type yes. going and there's a road too that's yes. one i've always oh, said is yeah. my favorite the yeah. drone photo I, I know exactly which one you're talking yeah. about and yeah no i see i took that photo back in like february this is before i even wanted to get tiktok famous mm. but i realized like i had good enough photos to put in where like my landscapes would really take off mm. and instead of posting just wallpapers i said i, I made it more personal like to me mm. and I, I remember i put like quit job check mark you know travel the country Check mark, and then I said, um, post photos that I was always scared to post, mm. and then I put check mark, and then it went like right to the photos, and they were I think like the top four photos I've ever taken in my entire life, and it overnight I remember I woke up to like the whole like ninety nine plus mm-hmm. you know notifications type thing, and it blew up to I think about six hundred fifty thousand views, um, wow, over one hundred twenty thousand likes, and but the coolest thing was. Uh, the follower count that I got from it. Yeah. You know, because, like, you know, some people will post, like, I've, and I've seen people post, like, videos that get, like, 1.5 million likes and, like, you know, 7.7 million views mm-hmm. that only get maybe, you know, 10K, 15K followers from it. I got almost 29,000 followers wow. from, like, this small video. Jeez. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. And it happened so fast. Yeah. And, like, and from there, I was like, 
holy shit. And I remember, like, one of the guys that I worked with, he was like, holy shit, dude, you finally got it. You finally got TikTok <laughs> famous. And I was like, I know. I wasn't even expecting it. Yeah. It was just a video mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, like, whatever. So then, like, I knew at that point. I was like, okay, I know my niche now. I can't bear away from the niche. And every single time I try, like, I'll post, like, a funny or, like, a trend. Never does, like, really good. But, like, whenever I post a photo or go back to, like, the photo posting, mm-hmm. it always goes up and up. Well, yeah, now you found the, the people of, the people that like that yeah. have made you one of their primary TikTok feeds you know what i mean exactly. like they're the, the home now is the photographers and the exactly. people that appreciate that it's like their for you page yes so exactly like whenever well, the like, algorithm is putting you back in yeah more. it's like how i manipulated my instagram algorithm to only show me baseball stuff absolutely <laughs> because i would go through the uh the the discover page i'd only click on the baseball stuff so yep. that i could only see baseball and now every single thing on my feed is baseball <laughs> see i i didn't know it really did that until like I started to like realize it like in COVID, but like for years mine's just been FIFA content. Like my whole yeah, for you I, is I mean yeah. soccer. So you FIFA guys send and... you guys send those videos for me to watch and I watch them. Yeah. So some of them are just pack openings on there. Like, <laughs> well, I haven't played FIFA for three years. Yeah, dude, that's why I get all my hype videos. Like I watch like my and I love that. I'm so glad that I don't have a trash like for you either or like that right. but i didn't know like this whole time like me actually clicking on those things that i liked was just now if i go on instagram it's all i see which is bad but good yeah you it's, know? Your, it's your fbi agent going to work <laughs> what it is he keeps track man he keeps track <laughs> Definitely. so yeah. so when you went and got like you get these pictures like you've gone in the drone one but speaking specifically on when you uh, quit your job yeah didn't you go to all the national parks yeah yeah so i I'm, it's crazy that like most of those photos that I posted on that TikTok were actually posted before I quit my job. It was like when I was traveling initially yeah. for Fidel when I was like getting those. But some of them I got after, yeah. When, when I quit, you know, it was this abrupt time. I never knew I was going to quit. You know, my best friend, his name is Zach. He quit as well. We were doing the same kind of job. And like the reasons why, you know, we've left the organization. We're the same. We're the same. You know, we talk about it together. And we talked about the opportunities that we were kind of like sacrificing because of, you know, this organization, mm. um, because we just love to work there. But every single thing that we loved about it was was gone in a sense because of, you know, because of COVID, but also because of some, you know, administration changes and um, leadership changes and changing direction of like what our job was that made it so enticing to go. Just kind of changed before our eyes and mm. and never asked, you know, not necessarily ask for opinions because like we knew our you know we knew our entry level roles but at the same time like to work so hard to get to this one thing and to get these people to to trust us and believe us to take it away you know just felt like a really just a big stab of like you know why are we still here Mm -hmm. you know when we can be doing so much more in you know a for-profit or doing so much more in like things that we love to do you know Mm -hmm. so yeah, but we we all we we just started traveling together, um, because we were like, hey, like we're not in our next jobs yet. We have like yeah. these three four weeks of just, you know, these this leeway. Why not travel like the national parks? And it was one of the biggest things that we love to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember he uh, he flew out from St. Louis after, and then you know I just got back home. Um, I went to Rachel Claudel's wedding, uh, which was an amazing time. Like literally like right after the wedding, like a couple of days after, he flew in and. For maybe four weeks, we just set out and toured literally every national yeah, park in the West so Coast. Sick, bro. Yeah. So, what so what was the feeling you like? So, like Dan and I've he Dan is a big admirer of uh, nature and hiking. Yeah. Actually, and uh, he's taking me up around here. Hell yeah! 
Um, but even beyond that, like just hiking in a hiking in a sense, and I know Dan relates to this, but what did you get like going there and seeing the natural beauty that's been protected, um, protected selectively by our government? Let's be real, right? Too. But what did you get out of going to these areas and, and seeing the preserve and seeing what right. nature truly was is like? Right. You know, uh, what did you grow from it, would you say, maybe? Of course. And, like, you know, being prote- it, it's protected by our government, but it's also protected by our government, like, for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, they chose the spots for a reason. Um, and, like, you know, I, I think about it, you know, in terms of government, like, I, I think back to Teddy Roosevelt all the time because yeah. like, he was, like, one of the first, you know, the first people to really establish this kind of, like, national park system, in a sense, especially with Yellowstone. Um, and just trying to imagine, like, you know, be, obviously being a history major, trying yeah. to imagine, like, what he felt, like, seeing these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, seeing these rare national beauties really tried to, try to manifest that and, like, understand, like, and try to feel like what he was feeling. But, oh, my God, whenever you got to a place mm-hmm. and you just looked at it, you were, like, you are just in shock and awe. And being a photographer, I didn't even know where I wanted to set up my compositions Mm-hmm. because everything was so beautiful. You just right. never knew yeah. when to bring out the camera, you know? There are obviously, like, those spots that you're like, okay, I know here, and I know here, and I know here. Like, but also know, being, as a photographer, there is the genuine, like, lust, you would say, for finding that unique, untapped beauty in nature, That correct? perfect mm-hmm. composition. Right. That And I love that you use unique, because if you go, if you ever go to a spot or a site, especially a national park, you know that there's going to be so many professional photographers that were there before you right. taking that same shot, taking mm-hmm. that same composition. And composition is so important whenever you're a photographer trying to make it like your career. So you're almost forced to like say, I know this is a famous shot, but how can I make it my own and how can I make it different? And mm-hmm. I remember like being there, it was always that battle of like you want to see this beauty from like the places that they, you know, that you're really supposed to see it but then how am I going to make it different at the same time like just being there and like setting the camera down and just looking you know looking out and like being a part of it and I think that was like the best one of the best parts it was like that divide because it always made me focus on you know what would what someone would consider like the less important aspects like if you say say if you're just a tourist going there and like you know you're going to Angel's Landing you know you just want to walk the chains you want to see like the entire Zion Valley Mm -hmm. Um, but for me as a photographer, always making sure like I'm thinking about the next unique composition. I'm thinking about every single part of that hike, every single part of the trail, looking out to my right and seeing the valley before I even get to Angel's Landing, seeing all the pools and all the lakes and all the people and like all the interactions. So when you're going through it, you're actually navigating for, for something deeper too. Exactly. That that looking for something, that beauty through tracking. I'm in love with the journey. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in love with that hike getting up there mm-hmm. as well as, you know, obviously being in love with the result, obviously yeah. being in love with, you know, the photo that everybody posts, but being able to enjoy my time getting up there and not just getting out there to see it, you know, and like being a part of every single step of the way and trying to see like, maybe I can get a composition from this angle right. when I'm only halfway up or mm-hmm. a composition from this angle when I'm only 75% of the way up when another photographer would just sprint up the mountain and say, okay, I got a photo of, like, you know, the famous thing. Now I can get down in, in peace. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love I love the journey, and I love, and I, and I think that's, you know, hopefully a, a testament to me, and, like, and I always like to think of it as a testament, testament to me in terms of, like, just my, you know, professional character and, like, where I want to be in life is that, like, 
no, I'm in love with the process rather than just the end result. It's like, you know, right. of course, if I do something, you know, very special or very successful in my life, I'm going to love like, you know, the wealth or whatever that comes with it. But like, I'm more in love with what comes before and like the drive that's going to get me there than the actual like prize at the end of the road. You Definitely. Know? Like um, I, I love the record more than the trophy. I would say that that's what a lot of things are that the process of going to do it or doing it is better than the end result. Absolutely. It feels like for me at least too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely, as a example, you could see is like when you're building a FIFA team, Armand is you're, well, actually, for you, you like having your own team, but other people we know, there's people like yeah. they when they get their team that they want, it's like, oh, I don't want to really play anymore. I'm bored because you're already at the top level. But when you're at these lower levels grinding to get to the top yeah. level, it's more fun yeah. than playing at the top level because you're at the top level and you're like, where else am I supposed it, to go now? Yeah. And I definitely like that feeling when you're related to FIFA. I think of it, too. It's like... For me, this is a weird, like, this is definitely a hobby. I like playing the ultimate team. Absolutely. And I love watching the players that I pick in the game in real life and, like, actually appreciating what they do in real life. And I would say that it's, like, like there's a certain player that I've been following now. His name is Serge Milinkovic-Savic. Yeah, yeah. And he plays for Lazio in the Serie A. But, like, I, I knew who he was. I watched some stuff. But this year, I, like, got his card. Like, I wanted his card in the game. I started watching the games. I started to appreciate how he was. And it's almost like now I'm rooting for him in my game as I'm playing with him. I'm chasing that fun of, like, now watching him to be a player at the end of his career. Like, you know, what's it going to be? Th- to- I thought he was young. He is. He's 20. Like, when he, like watching uh, him to get yeah, to the yeah. end of his career. He's 23 right now. Yeah, or 25. Say, when I was playing He's career modes, bro. I was, I was trying to sign him, but he'd always go to Man City for like a hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I just I actually just bought a um, side note, but I guess I just bought his a uh, jersey today. So really? I'm pretty I'm pretty hyped. Yeah. That's how much it was. Like Dude, related to that, that, like like I cannot like I like I show Bianca highlights of Serge Milinkovic Savage because right. she's asked about stuff like that. Dude, yeah. it's so crazy. Like your love for the journey is so big that you're willing to like <laughs> do his journey for him virtually. Bro, like, I'm, t- yeah, I'm right. telling you, like I'm like I'm like he damn knows that- like Oh, sorry. No, go, 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 go. You go. No, I was going to say, based on that, that's like when I make franchise modes, I only pick rookies because I want them, I want to play their whole career out because I want their journey to go. That's so so sick. Yeah. So I'll trade all my veterans away and be like, yeah, I'll take some first round picks for next year and just have a full, like, rookie team. And just because I love yeah. developing these players, you went full Detroit the, Lions mode. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think it's a. I think it's an interesting way to think of a mindset. Just going back to the this root of it, the root of this conversation yeah. was is the journey, like you were saying. And I think it's, uh, or I guess I would ask you, why do you think that the record matters more than the trophy? Or why do you think that the uh, road to that and the working for it and then the uh, the actual reflection on the work is worth more than the title. Would you say is that right. part because, of that statement? Because I think you you know it. It's it's the story. You know it, it's what it's what you can look back on. Because even though you know everybody always says look towards the present, look towards the future. It's always nice to look to see what you've accomplished, and what you've done. The goal sometimes with the goal, no matter like what your goal is, some people come across that goal a lot easier than than others. And and you know obviously one of the biggest goals that people have as well, you know, being able to feed their family and like for them to prosper and everything. 
for some people, wealth comes easy. You know, they're, they're almost born into it where mm-hmm. they don't have to do anything. They, they never have to work a day in their life. Or um, it's just easier for them because they've had more access to it during their life, even if they were middle class. You know, you know they've saved up their allowances. They've, they've done all these kinds of things. The goal might be the same for some people, but the journey is always different. And the right. journey is unique to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love the journey more because I know like my journey to said success and success and to said wealth is my journey alone. And I did it by myself. But mm-hmm. no matter what I did... And even if I was above somebody in the beginning of the race, or even if I was behind somebody at the beginning of the race, I know that this was my journey and I still worked just as hard to complete it as, mm-hmm. you know, somebody else. Or maybe even harder, which is why, like, I love looking back and being like, you know, I, I did this mm-hmm. because, you know, and I, almost like a, you know, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, yeah. like, I did it my way. Huh. You know, so yeah. that's like, that's why I love the journey more because I look back on it, it's mine. If I look at the goal... It's everybody's goal, you know? It's like almost like, say, like, be a millionaire, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of people's goal to be a millionaire. But once I get there and I look back, I realize that my journey was different than anybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love it the most. But yeah. yeah. I would say that also that once you reach a goal, it's also hard to stay motivated to continue to do that. Which, uh, I mean, a lot, especially for me, once I reached... Uh, once I've reached a goal, it's hard for me to stay motivated to continue to con- like stay that way, because it's like you're not working. Oh, I don't need to like work hard anymore. I'm already there, so like, why would I do anything anymore? You know. Right. And I always tell myself that I don't have my mind have that mindset. But then when when I get to that goal, it's always like, well, I do have that mindset, I guess, because I stop. I mean, it shows because. Uh, so me and Armand did keto for a long time. Which if you know nice. what keto yes. is, uh, I mean Ryan, Ryan you, I mean you saw me like if I mean you probably don't remember that much, but I was like two something when I came to Laverne. The yeah. next time you saw me, I was like a twig. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was that time. Yeah, that was so keto he, he looked like a twig, and I was hitting the gym three hours a day. No, Daniel got fucking swole, bro. Uh, Hell yeah! I no. was I was like the the smallest body fat I've ever been in my life and the lowest weight I've ever been that's huge. like since like probably like 10th grade that's that's phenomenal but I got there and then that's when I joined the fraternity so it was like mm. I reached a goal of weight I reached a goal of having friends and then it was like I was drinking a lot more <laughs> I stopped <laughs> yeah. eating keto because it was like well I'm eating ice cream like everyone's trying to go eat ice cream go do all this shit and I was like alright whatever like I and then I know? stopped working out as much and then I stopped working out at all and now I'm back to almost square one which but is but you know what though the thing is though is like you said the like you have the awareness and reflection and, and I we both have gone up since those times yeah and you know we both talk about mentality and like eating better and all that but the truth is is you said you recognize you you don't you like the journey it was hard at some points but you like the journey no it was i at that i don't know what happened to my mindset but my mindset at that time was close to david goggins where it was like i'm gonna be the baddest motherfucker that i can be where it was like i want i will go to the gym and i will kill people not kill people, <laughs> but kill. People. But like, like, <laughs> yeah. work harder than anybody else in that gym. No, because you, you get that feeling of like, if, kill the game. Like, yeah, I, yeah you, you're fighting it, and like, literally, if someone pressed, like, how Goggins says it, like, if someone presses him again, 
you could stand up for yourself and literally the fear of death is gone. Like you yeah, could but kill no, people. That's, like, not, that's, not, but that's not, that's not, that's not a real metaphor. Like, yeah. I was, it's like now it's like I try to lift and it's like, I don't have the, that motivation anymore. Like it's just, I mean, until recently, recently I've been since reading that, since reading into David Goggins, yeah. um, doing a lot of like, like self thinking and self like meditation and stuff. Uh, right. I've been finding my uh, motivation again and I've been, I've worked on it for like a week and a half and I've seen some good results so far. So like today was the first time I eaten out other than Korean barbecue in like two weeks. So that's awesome. But the thing I was going to say, like, you know, you can do it and you can't, and you can tap back into that. Just like, 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 I'm sure you've hit roads, you know, bumps in the road, but like that refresh, like probably after quitting, quitting on Fido, which was your life for, you know, quite a few years, you know, felt like for at least five years, six years, you know, quitting on that, um, taking that refresh to chase the journey again, probably was that mindset that you needed to go into, into the pandemic. Absolutely. You know, further, I would say. Just like how the pandemic may have awoken you, Dan, to... Well, right bef- actually, right before the pandemic, because of Grant, we were working out every day again, and mm-hmm. I that, I was back at, like, a pretty good, like, where it wasn't like I was back at where I was, but I was back, I was pretty close to back to where yeah. I was. Um, and then the pandemic hit, my mom was like, you're not going to the gym anymore. And I started working out here. I have a punching bag because I was boxing at that time a lot. Yeah. Um, so I was doing boxing and doing like, I was doing like burpees up here. I was making myself do burpees, push-ups, sit-ups and all that stuff yep. for three weeks. And I was, I was like skinny and then I just stopped like, and then everything started opening up kind of again. And my friends wanted to go. Not like Armand, because I'm pretty sure Armand was still in Laverne. But we we went yeah. and visited him and stuff, and we would just go eat like Sonic and like it was like it felt so like you had to do it because like it felt like the quarantine was never gonna end at that point. Right. And it was like we're gonna go to these like like cliche or like niche nice restaurants. Yeah. Where they have the special food that you have to get there because you're not gonna go there that much. Desperate like, times call for desperate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's like why would I even work out? I'm never gonna leave my house again. It's like, you know Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. But I feel that though. The beginning of twenty twenty was so good, Armand. As yeah. you said. You know, I like I. I mean, you you would see it. Like I used to say, good. I mean, I still say good vibes. I think the good vibes never ended for me, at least. Yeah. There's ups and downs. Good I vibes. Twenty twenty really happened for me. I'm not gonna lie. I agree. I mean, there but, was a lot of good stuff. It was just like it felt like for me, it felt like I was on a different wave. Finally. Again. Yeah. Everything was. You know, people were picking up, and I think I think this actually was really good for the collective conscious of humanity in some ways i think it may have woken people up to the idea that not everything is finite or you know what i mean the stuff that we've taken for granted like we shouldn't actually take it for granted yes yeah you know like that the you know like that i think a lot of people were naive to that the world could actually stop and it has stopped yeah you know you only think about it in in movies where like you know you have movies like contagion where like didn't even come out yet, but like pre-COVID. And obviously, you know, we haven't hit that point of where it's been as bad as that to where everybody is feeling like this overwhelming death. And yes, the death toll has been very high and the, and the case number has been very high, but like 
it hasn't you know equated to like you know the movies type stuff more like it's like the world the human the world race is going to yeah end. yeah it obviously hasn't you know gotten that bad but for like an entertainment factor you need to happen. yeah fingers crossed yeah. but um but we've we've experienced something that where it's the real life version of that in terms of like a movie theater entertainment mm-hmm. sending is like shit's actually close and like shit that we never thought would close you know close like dude covid ruined soup plantation which is like a socal Honestly, favorite bro, you know I like know. everyone was pissed when that and happens. that was like one of the earliest ones to like mm-hmm. go and now you know now you have like these things that we don't even think about anymore that like we wouldn't even consider going to you know like when we're growing up especially like us when we were going up we would go to the mall and go go grab dinner and a movie a favorite double date with our best friend and, like you know these two like other girls who were like you know, best friend. If, if that's like what you would, if that was that could, it, sure, that that could yeah. be a lot of people's norm. Right, exactly. And, and if it's that a was a very norm, normative thing, yeah. And, and and yeah, and like, and if that's people's norm, you know, just going on a dinner and a movie, which was like a a big thing, like that's like what you would do. But like, you couldn't even fathom doing that now. Yeah, right yeah. Now. That's like a that's one thing that you took for granted that you never took walking around a mall. With your friends, just at well, night. Well, I mean, you can go to malls right now in California, but everything else. Is right, closed. right, exactly. But even like, there, but let's be real. There's still a taboo. It's a taboo. Yeah, yeah that's imagine true. walking without your mask. You know, like you know, when you go to the mall with your friends, of course, sometimes like you go like with your date, but like you also go with your friends to meet your other friends to try to like get to know them as well. Yeah. And like when you get to know somebody, it's all about the expressions. It's all about what your face is reading. It's all about like the vibes you guys are kind of putting together. When you have your mask on, you can't fully exploit those vibes as much as like you wanted to. I even felt that when I was like, when we were ordering at that food truck today, like yeah. at, at you know, Brewery X, like with that lady when like she asked like, how are we doing? Like I always go up with a smile. Mm-hmm. And, like I always try to make a conversation. But now like with my mask, I know... No matter how like happy or joyous I sound, you never know what's under like exactly. my mask, and, and like, that's what we take I would for granted. Say, I would, most of a lot of human communication and interaction is not just from our words we say; it's the non-verbal. facial emotions. It's the non-verbal. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's it's crazy how it's still m- symbolic language, though. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I know. I just you know me. I just <laughs> have to throw that in there. <laughs> Dan's like fuck off. On <laughs> but but yeah, it's mm-hmm. that. It's that, it's just those things that we take for granted that we never thought, like, would go away, but, you know, COVID took it away. And, like, dude, I was having a fantastic 2020. It was, I never in my, in all of my years, you know, never made one New Year's resolution because I thought they were bullshit. I yeah. thought, like, I was like, hey, if you want to change yourself, just do you it. don't need a fucking New Year to do it. You just mm-hmm. do it, you know? But, like, 2020 was actually the very first year where... You know, I was I was one year in a consult. It was about to be like half a year. You know, what felt like a year yeah. in consulting. You know, me and like this other consultant, we actually made like we made vision boards. We made like all these things to like get to get better on because we knew twenty twenty was a year, and it, everything was just like on the up and up. And uh, yeah, it went. You know, it shouldn't affect you, but like it, it definitely did. Mm. Like, and I remember, yeah. And I was so excited about the year, and I was so stoked to have, like, like good vibes 2020, yeah. you know, like, to get everything done. But, like, once that pandemic hit, you're like, well, shit, like, what what can I do, you know? Yeah. Every single thing that I was working towards, and I'm not going to lie, you know, like, I, you know, there was some where I was, emo- I want to say 75 to 80 to 90% was was journey-oriented. But, like, you know, there's always those one, one or two things was one or two goals where you actually like mm-hmm. I want to hit this goal because I want to hit this goal and yeah. I had those you know and 
Um, and those goals is just like they weren't a thing anymore because you know one of them was like was a wedding. You know, it was actually Rachel and Freddie's like it was Rachel and Freddie's and Jessica Faber's wedding that were happening. You know, in in April, March, back to back, and like you know, yeah. I was like, well, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ready for this mm-hmm. wedding. I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm gonna look like my best. No one's seen me in years because I was traveling so right. much. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go back and like shock and awe everybody, and that's where you're like, I'm I'm so fucking in love with the journey because of like the goal of like the yeah. shock and awe factor, you know? Yeah. But like, shit, like right when 2020 hit, or right when like the pandemic hit, that just went like out of the that way. That goal just became a sidestep because you didn't even know if it was like a, if it was gonna happen, yeah. you know? So it's it's almost like that half and half. We're like. It's all it's it's always so good vibes twenty twenty because it is what you make it with like the situation that's yeah, in front of you, but like you can't all but you also can't help but feel sad because of those goals that just aren't a thing that you were like actually right, trying yeah, that your right. journey was like destined to like become at the end. Yeah, yeah. So it's tough. You know, but. I mean, I saw this. There's this one tweet that helped uh, my mindset during the pandemic. It was like. I now see why there was the act- the Roaring Twenties were so lit was because right after the Spanish flu or whatever, or I think that's what it was, right? Uh, the Roaring Twenties, there was everybody was like partying. Well, you had po- and- the poli- the initial polio outbreak. Yes, yeah, and that's there was right, a faster. Yeah. There was not so fast, but there was a vaccine eventually made. But mm-hmm. yeah, polio outbreak. Yeah, but then uh, everyone was partying and shit after that right yeah the flappers the roaring 20s the roar, yeah the the roar, well it also there. stems from the alcohol prohibition too where like so maybe the they stories should just prohibit begin- alcohol again so <laughs> <laughs> yeah then they would no, no that's <laughs> they already tested that out and it became a financial disaster off tax revenue and illegality yeah, yeah that's why they legalized it that's why they're many- trying to legalize weed too yeah yeah i know it's the same that's what that's what the, the whole argument has been for ages is that marijuana is actually a less dangerous substance than alcohol mm-hmm. on your health, on just a number of different things. Yet it has a harsher, um, a harsher uh, punishment. Well, it was, harsher... Isn't it because of the patents? Wasn't Dustin saying? Um, uh, it's That's now, but the issue is before it was that it was a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It was that it was used in a lot of spiritual rituals and yeah. it was a plant that was used to do different things. Thus, it was outside of culture was unregulated it did cause hallucinogenic effects right just banned yeah yeah Yeah. i could see that yeah yeah no that's why that's why it's like the yeah we don't have to go into that but (laughs) you know you can go into Mm -hmm. a whole different thing i have have another photography question yeah before maybe we can you know we'll jump to a different topic but you know photography so uh well, no, it's it's gonna come at you hard. Why why did your Bianca has taught me this term? It's a way she makes pictures that she sends me. They're quite humorous to me. Okay. She deep fries them. Okay. Okay. Oversaturation. Yes. And a lot of your early photography. Yeah. And I remember when I followed you, there was just insane edits, and the saturation was like. Yeah. A lot. What was the artistic like goal of that? Holy like, what shit, was that? dude! Yeah. I don't even know. I, I look back today, and like I remember seeing like those old photos. Like, there'd be eyes, like, like weird, like, eyes in the middle of, like, nature and shit, bro. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, like, honestly, in the, I think, like, back 2017, 2018, like, when I was, like, mostly 2017 when I was creating this kind of stuff, it was honestly just to, for the sake of, like, creating, just, like, never stop, like, you know, always just for the sake of learning, not knowing, like, what my niche was at that point, taking photos of just whatever the fuck I can, like, photoshopping, like, whatever I can into it. 
And like <laughs> I look back today, I'm like, holy shit, like that's bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I feel like a lot of like pictures have been like back then where a lot of like people wanted more filters on them because yeah, they yeah. were newer. So you put more filters on it so, so it looked cooler. Yeah, I took I, I took all those off now. Like all you can see on my profile now are like literally just just the portraits that made oh, it yeah you know like but even then yeah. there's some where you do the before and after and like even before where the first see, picture is yeah. like not a poorly taken composition no it's not but, but the like, saturation that you edit yeah and i was wondering what at like, that you know. point at that point like it was like my niche you know but like some of them my niche at that when i got when i really got into portraits because it took forever to find out like what i really like to do but i realized at the end of the day i love doing female portraits because I love the way that they in just in a photo just with their face and their eyes especially if they, if they knew how to pose um you can just see so much emotion from that and I wanted to capture that but then like not only that in this day and age when when the lust for exposure was so much you needed mm-hmm. to make your stuff unique in some kind of way and like for me mine was the Mine was the overexposure of colors that made my profile pop. So when you look at it at a feed view going down, you're just like, oh my God, that that's, you know, when, when you look at it, you're like, that's an awesome explosion of colors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I, I actually thought that yeah. when I was looking, I was so like, like, these when, colors are like, when you like, pop. obviously like these are the self portraits, but like when you look at the yeah. female parts, like the, the explosion of colors, and like the way that like, they pop when you look at the portraits, right? they're really cool. But in my early days of photography, they weren't like Well, that. I mean, even in your, even in, because I remember there was, like, the oversaturation in, like, some of your nature photography, too. True. Yeah. And like, that's like where, the like, there was one. a lot of, yeah, editing. And that's why I said, like, that one was my favorite out of it, because I felt like the saturation that was altered just was the red hues were brought out. I it makes like. it unique, you know? Yeah. And, like, and I know that there's, there will always, 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 always be this argument of, like, Especially in, especially in landscape photography, like how much do you alter within the photo, mm. you know? Like, and I've seen people alter nothing to where it just looks like a photo taken off an iPhone or where they alter everything and it literally looks like this ether, otherworldly, you know, being right. that's like on earth, you know, there's like that. But I try to do, again, just like that happy medium of like, I'm going to make it my own because I know my niche and my niche is, you know, oversaturation of colors but at the same time, not making it look too otherworldly to where like you're like okay, that's like way way too much. Rather than like okay, like I know you up the color level, but because I know that that's your style, like it mm-hmm. makes kind of sense. You know, you didn't take anything out, you just up the colors a little bit, or you made them like complementary complementary within like each other. And like right. I've always loved that kind of you know photography. But from like my first stuff though, oh my god, it's it's thousand times better. Than, than whatever you know it used to be because before I would just try to photoshop looking everything oh. and it was bad you know yeah. but like now like I, I got a gist of it and I realized like that it was my niche you know yeah. and and the and the satisfaction and the realization of you know kind of blowing up on TikTok I remember like that waterfall one I think it was like my most like ever, forever yeah and Multnomah Falls one is like my most like photo ever it got just with with hashtags alone and, you know, with me probably averaging on, like, photos, averaging maybe 175 to 190 likes a post. Mm-hmm. This one got, like, 790 on Instagram. And, like I said, over 120,000 on TikTok. I was like, okay, 
I know I, I, I know like I altered the color, but like I think I did a really good job of not over dramatizing it, but like making mm-hmm. sure it still stayed within my niche. And and at that point, I knew I was like, it was like okay, like I'm, I'm doing like you know my job as a photographer to like make something feel you know like the way they did. And actually, like, and it's fine. I'm gonna say like my one last point on this, but like, <laughs> but like my one last point, my my true one last point on this. I was talking about this with someone because I saw them post like a little bit of like a hate thing about their photographer because they posted a, fit, a, a photo of them or they sent a photo of them after their edits and they edited out their acne and they made their smile a little wider, you know, made them look genuinely. And, and I know it sounds bad, but like they looked, you know, quote unquote better than, right. you know, mm-hmm. what that original photo was. And, you know, I saw this one person who saw that photo and like immediately brought to Instagram saying like, Hey, like, I don't, like, I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, they messed with my acne. I don't like that. They whitened my teeth. You know, mm. I, I don't like, like, I'm beautiful with, like, with my acne. With yeah. my teeth. And I understand that. Like, I, I completely 100% understand that. But, like, I think, you know, as a photographer, and especially like, with a client like that, but, like, even, like, with me with nature, the reason why I edit the way I do is to make people remember what they thought they saw when they were there at that specific moment. Okay. It's, it's that Mandela effect where, like, you think you remember, like, that one thing. Like, say, like, a cosmic brownie, right? Mm-hmm. You remember all those, like, fucking, like, rainbow, like, little I got you. You're trying, to, you're trying to recreate the euphoric feeling that yes. was felt when you first experienced it on the actual image. Because usually images don't actually... They sure. capture a moment, yes. but they don't actually then, give you the feeling and, of But it. with the color being more saturated, more popping out... Uh, it gives you that feeling where it's like, wow, that, that's, like, that's the goal. Like yeah, exactly. Like, I could, yeah, I could understand. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I want to do. And I, and I felt like that's what that photographer for that, that specific person, yeah. I feel like that's, that's what that photographer wanted to do. It's like, yeah, like I know I had acne there and smile there, but like say like in like 30 years, when you look back at like those photos, you know, when you're not going to like really like remember your acne or remember like your smile, you're going to look back and you're like, wow, like I was beautiful. I remember myself looking like that in that moment because I was like that beautiful you know, and, but, like, in terms of, like, nature, and especially, like, with me, like, selling my prints, that's what I wanted to do was, like, when, and it's funny because, like, people will go on these, like, national park trips, and they'll look back at their phone, and they'll look at their photos, they're, like, oh, yeah, you know, that was kind of cool, but, like, it was a lot better, it's always, like, Mm -hmm. it was a lot better in person, it was a lot better in person, when, like, what you saw in person was what you took on the phone because that phone is giving you the most accurate representation of what you took. Yeah. You're thinking about that, like, uh, like what you said, like that otherworldly feel, that euphoric right. feel of what you got. You're imagining what my photos are actually saying. Right. Which I, is why you like that I photo. Think, I think what happens is it's the age-old problem of art is that there's the artist's interpretation and the artist's vision. Yeah. And that when you create a composition... Um, there's also the interpretation of the perceived and then the perception and all three are different classifications. Yeah. But the way that the, the audience perceives it could be completely different from the perception that it's even depicting versus the artist's vision. Exactly. You know what I mean? Those are all three different, you know, elements. And I think the hardest thing about photography is it's capturing a fact Thus, when you alter the fact, it becomes opinion. And then when the artist creates the composition, they're genuinely saying now it's opinion. Exactly. And then the perception of the audience is missing the element of the artist and is only taking the perception at the value that's given. Exactly. You know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? No, that makes and sense. And I think that's, that's kind of why this, 
there's like it's photography that this happens because yeah. it's a cap it's capturing of something that's not physically made the f- the photograph is the actual exactly. art piece you know exactly but what separates the good photographers from the phenomenal photographers and the rich photographers is if they can make a piece look like it was taken like that in that moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but still like with editing it mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you see any big piece anywhere in some famous art museum, that photo is fucking edited. That's either a stack of like 10 or 11 different photos. It's either a boat or a ship being placed in or moved to like make it look like that specific moment. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes there's... Sometimes, and sometimes it's like even, out of your... Like even that one right there. Yeah, like, like even that one right there. I guarantee you that that is a combination of 10 or 11 different photos because there's no way the light... Because if you look on that mountain, the sun is hitting the mountains on the right side, which would depict the sun being over those buildings. So how is that left building being lit up if the sun is on the left side? Right. Those mountains are getting hit facing on the right. How is that building on the left hitting the sun? And then there's also exposure coming up, the sun coming up from behind the mountains. Like that you can see protruding up to the sun. So there has to be light hitting the snow behind that. To create that glow too, right? Exactly. And then how is... And then if this building on the left, closest to us, is lit up, how the heck are the buildings on the right of it being lit up? Is, As well. is the sun, like, directly, like, right above? But then that can't be true because then if the sun was directly above, yeah. that entire mountain would not have shade on it. This, mm. this picture also does well at not casting shadows that are not, like... Uh, unquestionable. Like, if you look down there, there's, like, a little bit of shadows on the street that you could definitely think is coming from that bush or that car, but none of those are even, like, definite of which way the sun is going. Exactly, and that's because the photographer knows that, and they take out the shadow with a different photo where the sun was in a different spot and then they just the shadow place, never existed. Right, and then they just match all the colors slightly better. If, it's, yeah. if your camera's on a tripod, you're going to get the same exact shot no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all you got to do is just color out the light with the, you know, with the shading brush. If every, and like in Photoshop, that's the thing, like they're all masks. So if you put nine photos in different layers they end up just being masked. So if you just delete like one part of like one photo, mm-hmm. it becomes still part of like that same photo. Yeah. So now mm. you can take out all the shadows. You can mess with the shadows. So like that photo, that is a great photo. You know, yes, it's it's oversaturated, but like right. when you're looking at a landscape or when you're looking at like a travel destination, you want that saturation because it, it well, feels Well, it makes awesome. uh, it makes me want to go visit because that looks like exactly. it's in Munich or, or some European country. Some and, kind of Swiss yeah. like below the mountain yeah, type like, feel, you know? It gives me that, like it makes me want to go and get a like croissant and have a coffee at the bottom of this, you know, in exactly. a cafe. But and and that's why you know it's a photo that's background worthy is because you know because it's yes of it course draws it draws that intrigue still it draws the intrigue, but it's edited and like you know it's edited because there's no way the sun can hit all those pieces in that composition at the same exact time. Even the cloud, the even, cloud with like the I mean yeah like those clouds don't even make sense how one is super lit to the top right, no, but. No. I mean, it could be being blocked by that one right there. Kind of, but then why is it all... It just doesn't if, all make sense. Yeah, like, if, if it's... So, if you look at where that shade is hitting that cloud, the shade is on the right side, right? Yeah. Which means that the shade must be hitting the right side on every part of the photo, which it does on that green part of the mountain. It hits those trees, so you're like, okay, that might be the same shot. Mm-hmm. But then you just go right back to that left side, the, that, that building where it's just bright red, yeah. where it looks like some kind of light is hitting it, 
There is no way because you can tell the shade yeah. of the cloud does not equal the shade of that building. Yeah. Which and, and, and the flag, honestly. Yeah, the like, flag looks like it's blowing all funky too. Yeah, so it just it just goes to show that like stuff is edited, but like when and of course we're looking like in depth with it right now, mm-hmm. which which makes sense. We're gonna have like, to put this. We're gonna have to put some of your pictures on our website if that's fine. Dude, that's oh, I'll yeah, send you if you're that's fine. Yeah, yeah, so we can put these up so people can see them right there. Yeah, no, we'll put them on our Instagram too. If that'd be, yeah, that'd be sick. But honestly. we gotta do this too because we're winning all. Yeah, the- no, <laughs> I know, right? I'll, like, po- we, we I'll post this, this with the post I make about the episode. Perfect. Cool. Um, but yeah, that you know, I guess, I guess, um, it's that's the thing is like we have to remember that it that's an art too. That's the art that the, it's not the. The place is not the... It is beautiful. Of course. And it's worthy of art, artistic composition. But every photograph is, as we said, unique. Or art, it's an art composition. It's unique. Yeah. You can't, uh, <laughs> you can't be judging it. You know, you maybe have to take those edits for a different... Uh, you have to take your perspective and analyze it maybe further. If mm-hmm. you can make it look like it... You know, if, if you can make your edit look like it wasn't an edit, but still, like, bring that vibe and, like, your niche together, then... Then you know. Then you know you've done a good job. When when you can put it to a random person, and be like, I want to go here, because of this photo specifically. Yeah, and that's why I chose some of the not this one, but that's why I chose some of the photos that I have in my background because I saw a picture. I was like, damn, that's fucking beautiful. I want to go there sometime. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, should we move on from photography? That was a nice little session. Yeah, that. yeah. If you want. Uh, I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read you something, Ryan, and uh, <laughs> I think it will tie into something all three of us actually have in common but sure. uh, it's also going to lead to something I think uh, you would want to talk about too it's encompassing um, so I'm going to read something alright my dream is to go on to a D1 school and pass that I know there is a very slim chance of getting to that point but I am willing to put in the effort that gets me gets me to it if baseball some does not somehow does not work out for me I would be proud to serve my country and enroll in the United States Air Force once I do my duties as an American, I want to become a fireman and start a loving, happy family. Do you remember writing that? Absolutely. And how do you feel about that statement? Oh my God! I I knew I re- I knew I wrote that when you said a, a D one. <laughs> Where? Uh, well, let's also read this this scouting report it gave me. So it says you were okay. five nine. Yep. It says you're one forty. Jesus. Your dominant hand was left. Yep. It does give your age as 23. Jesus. So that's interesting. Oh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm 23 now, so, so that, it's that might be like the data. So, they, so here's your stats as a pitcher. Your okay. top fastball you threw is 82 miles an hour. Your okay. average fastball supposedly was 77. Jesus. Your changeup was 67, and the it just says breaking ball 65. Yeah. So that was your, that was your scouting so profile. Max your, press or what? Oh, dude, I went deep to get this. Okay. Okay. It doesn't matter where I got this. But, so you wrote that, and that, that was your statement, but that obviously like NCSA. was... NCSA. It is NCSA. Is it NCSA? So, you know, going into the, you know, that's what you wrote for that. That, that was your profile. How do you feel looking at, this is 2013, I'm assuming. I was... Uh, uh, looking on that now and reflecting on baseball one. Yeah. Uh, with that whole path you outlined. I was on a, I was a I was a sophomore in high school when I wrote that. I was my very first scouting report given to me because I made varsity that year and and my the first part of the year was actually very successful as a sophomore. Um I got a couple starts on varsity so that prompted a couple college coaches to to look out for me, told me to start that NCSA mm-hmm. blog thing and uh 
no, I, I, re- I remember writing that. And I love the fact that serving my country was on there because I still want to do it. Um, being, you know, being a D1 athlete, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily get to be D1 in terms of like athletics, but like in terms of what the, you know, in terms of what I did within Greek life and, and student government, we were, even though we were a small school, we were like, we were a D1 organization mm-hmm. with like what it felt like in terms of, you know, ACLB and Fidel. So, um, holy crap. I'm, I'm glad 2013 me. I, I feel like 2013 me can you know besides the disappointment with baseball and not having to yeah. go farther, I I feel like you know 2013 me would be proud of 2021 me, mm-hmm. um to an extent. That's Jesus Christ. Yeah, I haven't heard that in forever. Being a fireman <laughs> was always my thing. I was like, yeah. they're you know they were cool and it was just an easy job. It wasn't easy, but like you know it was it was a job that I can get into post-college it was one mm-hmm. that can keep me in rancho i was always always a rancho cucamonga boy mm-hmm. and i feel like i would stay a rancho cucamonga boy um especially in high school but mm-hmm. uh yeah and that makes sense too because i wrote that in the fall so i just got introduced to my history teacher mm-hmm. at that point yeah you put on here that you uh your favorite classes were ap chemistry and ap history and that Although they're hard classes, they're my favorite, and I'm uh, looking forward to like learning them or something. Like that's that. fucking crazy because I hated AP Chem. Yeah, well, that's what you put. <laughs> that's what, you, that's I, what I, your profile says. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I hated AP Chem, but I loved history. Um, and yeah, that's actually where I decided to become a history major. Was mm-hmm. my sophomore year when I obviously wrote that, or, or a little bit after I wrote that article. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, that my history teacher changed my. Uh, changed my I don't want to, I guess changed my life but like in like a you know not like a change really influencing life. in like the way in which you like found a passion in he academics, made me yeah? he made me decide my freaking degree which cost me you know over a, almost a hundred thousand dollars so yeah. I would say he changed my life yeah. <laughs> in terms of like what I wanted to do you know so mm-hmm. uh take take that way you will but yeah so it was I think that's crazy because um think i wrote that just upon the transformation of my life where mm-hmm. you know i got on varsity baseball i wrote that um and then ever since that i ever since i wrote that i feel like that was like the closing of my book it was like i wrote it down to never do it again it was almost like a because right when i closed that book i wanted to be a history major you know so at that point i was like okay you know it's okay if i don't get a baseball scholarship because I know I'm going to major in history and be a teacher. Yeah. And at that point, I wasn't going to be a fireman. I was going to be a teacher and then go up, hopefully work my way up to superintendent. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like I said, I think the reason why 2013 me or 2012 me would be proud of the 2021 me is the fact that I'm still going into the military. Like that was mm-hmm. a one thing, that yeah. one constant that never changed. So I'm, I'm proud of myself for that. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm hearing that. Yeah, no, I, I looked at that. I looked that up once. Once I knew you're, I've had this for a minute, like bookmarked for when. Really? Yeah, because once once you said you wanted to come on, I was like, well, what's something funny I could bring up to that trigger is, something? That is fucking <laughs> funny. Uh, you said two words, and I was like, this sounds like high school me. <laughs> but um, what the hell? But um, but like you said, like you still pursuing the military. What you know, you graduated. You were traveling. Yeah. At what point did you choose to, or what? What are you going into? What steps are you taking? Just explain. Right, yeah. yeah you're, mean, you said you're just joining the military. The military is a full faceted army. It's huge. Arm. <laughs> yeah, that's very. Not, that's an understatement to say the least. Um, it like, and if if this get if this gives any like precedence or weight to it, I was willing to quit my job 
that I loved so much that I knew I was going to be doing after college um, because I didn't want to wait any longer was joining the, the Marine Corps, was, mm-hmm. being, was being an officer. That was like, of course, I was getting, you know, beaten around in Fidel and we were getting stuff switched on us moment to moment. And, you know, all these negative things, you know, but I can take those negative things and I can still make my job like what it is, especially yeah. if I don't have anything to fall back on. Yeah. But knowing that I had this career choice that I've, ever, I've wanted to do ever since I was a little kid mm-hmm. and I'm putting and I've been putting that on hold for, you know, as many years as I had, you know, being a peer mm-hmm. mentor, being an intern, then finally going into FIDO, being a leadership consultant, being willing to sacrifice that job, being an officer at a young age to be part of FIDO only to, you know, not get, like, what we were promised in a sense. Why am I, why am I still holding back now? What, like, why am I sacrificing this even if, even if this isn't where I want to be? And like I said, like, no dirt on Fidel. I love that job. I still love that job. I'm volunteering for them now because I still mm-hmm. believe in the fraternity. But professionally, I knew I cannot put off the Marine Corps anymore. Right. Because this is what I need to do at this moment in my life. And that was why I was so able and so focused on leaving and so and so okay with leaving was because i know i have this goal like ready for me and i know if i didn't leave fidel that i wouldn't become a marine until i was like 24 25 which isn't necessarily which isn't necessarily late but that's almost like for like a career marine like a 20 year when like i just want to make it a part of my life so I can always have those values and I can always teach those values and always be a part of those values, not right. making it my entire life. Right. And I knew I needed to get into it now. And since my job wasn't doing what I thought I expected it to do, and of course COVID has a point, has a pro, like it has a, you know, a stake in that and some other points have a stake in that, but it, that, was, that was my time. But that's how dedicated and focused I am to the Marine Corps mm-hmm. um, was being able to, you know, move out of a state to come back home to really pursue this. Yeah. So. Why, why do you think that that uh, dream has been constant or that desire? Like, why do you feel like that calling exists? And it's been constant after going through uh, so many different, uh, different you know, tasks like and endeavors. Yeah. yeah. I, think, um, I think the reason why, and I didn't know it as a, as a high schooler because I was still immature and young and, like I said, it was just a cool thing to do. You know, it was a cool thing to serve your country. Mm. But in college, when I when I really learned, and what I learned that Fido gave me, is that I always wanted to give back. You know, I would, if if something made me successful, if something made me you know big in my life, or what made me feel like I was like you know standing on top of the mountain, I I, I passed the goal. Um, I wanted to give back to that. And being president of Fido and then Fido, you know, like, you know, getting all these awards or, you know, making me become president, making me Greek man of the year, making me, you know, do all these things. And of course, yes, like, you know, I put in the work to get those. But at the same time, Fido gave me that opportunity. You know, Fido put me in the door. Fido gave me the opportunity to be a senator, you know, to a senator. Yeah. Fido gave me the opportunity to be a senator pro tempore. Fido gave me the opportunity to be an intern. Yeah. Gave me the opportunity to have, like, my first job post-college. Right. So I felt this obligation to give back because I would not be the leader I was without Phi Delta Theta. And right. I know that, which is why I wanted to be a consultant more than anything, which is why I was able to be okay with sacrificing two years of the Marine Corps for Phi Delta. But I know I want to join the military and I know I want to join, and I know why I want to join the Marine Corps is because of the fact that this country has given so much to me 
you know, and I know and I understand that everybody's journey is different and everybody mm. grows up with some sort of privilege that somebody else doesn't have. Yeah. And I'm thankful for the privilege that I've had. But also, I've worked hard at every single thing that I've gotten. Mm. I've never let my privilege allow me to get something just willy-nilly. I've always worked for what I've wanted. You know, mm. my privilege didn't give me president of Fidel. It was me working for that. To, to, you, you know, you're recognize. Would you say you're willing to, or would you say you're you're recognizing you've had privilege? Absolutely. And you're you, you understand it. You recognize it, but you're also putting in the effort to your fullest ability, such that your privilege was not inherently what gave you everything. Exactly. I am right. I knew I started, say you know, at a different starting line than some other people in terms of yeah. success. And yes, that starting line might have been, you know, further than some people. But also, my starting line has been, you know, farther than some people. Like, yeah. you know, farther back than some people. Um, but nonetheless, like, my country has given me, like, the freedoms to be at the starting line that I was. As opposed to, like, other countries. So, I want to give back as much as I can because, you know, I'm thankful for that opportunity. Like, I'm, I'm thankful to go to school. Um, I'm thankful to be able to put in that application. I'm thankful to, you know, go to a nice public school and then go into a private school. I'm thankful for my parents to do, you know, what they do. And they can do that because, we, you know, we live in this country. Right. And, and all these kinds of things. And I understand, you know, the, you know, the atrocities and, and the negative stuff that's going on here. You know, I don't want right. to come on here and say that I don't, you know, that I'm neglecting that or anything. Right. Um, because I know what's happening, you know. But, but at the same time, like me personally... Um, you know, this country has done a lot for us. It, it, it allows us the opportunity to voice those opinions on how bad this country is. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I that, mean, you've seen Russia, right? The person that's going against... Yeah, the, the, uh, the um, opposition party. Yeah. Yeah, he was put in jail, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had a protest for him being put in jail, and, like, it was, like, 3,000 other people got put in jail. Yeah. And I think... Um, I think, uh, well, you know, I guess it is very, and right now, and I guess this is a question too, in 2020, or 2020, 2021, the topic of uh, the police and military have really been like a hot topic too. Yeah. And how do you, you know, as someone who studied history, I think you would be naive to say you wouldn't, the Gulf of Tonkin is one example, but different examples where, the United States military has maybe exploited or not done their correct thing. How do you, um, how do you feel about that, and how do you recognize that going into this profession? Um, because it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but it would be naive to say because I know you're would an be. educated history major and we've studied a lot of the same things. Yeah. So how I do you re- how do you recognize that? I hate. Uh, I'll never use like the term you know bad apple because mm-hmm. I think it gets tossed around too much to where like it doesn't make. You know, it, it doesn't justify any single thing that everyone's doing. It's been used on, you know, the side of the police. It's been used on, you know, the side of, you know, looters and rioters. Where, like, there's only a couple of bad apples that loot. You know, there's only a couple of bad apples that use police brutality. Like, I don't, I don't like that. I just think it goes down, it boils down to, you know, the fact that, you know, we're all human. And there are these tendencies of, of greed and of these personal vendettas that some humans have. Right. And they use their positions to exploit it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's unfortunate, but it's just a human tendency to, it's, you know, it's that filter we talk about. It's the, the fact that everybody's built different and some people are willing to sacrifice whatever they learned and, 
and every single you know good faith good samaritan good fortune things that they've had and sacrificed it to make this one negative mistake that might affect you know history as we know it yeah. Gulf of Tonkin yeah. you know so i know me personally i can't do anything about the history that happened with the organizations that i want to join now granted the marine corps didn't you know the marine corps wasn't the central in the Gulf of Tonkin it was just the military in general that's what i, I mean it's the institution of the military right. as a whole and i'm saying yeah. like um w- when you talk about the negativity towards the military right now, it has to do with spending, um, just outright, just the manipul like different acts that it's, have been done everything. by certain. Yeah. yeah. So when you say like the yeah, blank the, check by Lyndon Johnson, yeah, the whole exactly, yeah. and that's what it is. Like it's it's the yeah. whole to say you know it wasn't the Marines here, um, like it's it's still a naive state. So I'm saying like joining yeah. the institution itself, being a that, part of what has yes. been considered like that's the part of the reputation so now. You, yeah. So you. I mean, I don't want to load the question, but Please I will do. load the question. I'll say, what, do you think that you want to be a change in that or do, doing this? How do you feel like going forward knowing what you know? I know, I know and it sucks. And I, yeah. you know, I know damn well that I cannot be a single change right. in this. David Goggin, like, like the, one of the biggest influential people to come out of like, the military, right. still cannot be a change in the military. Right. And I wasn't saying a single change, but right, like, right. what's your mentality on yeah. the... I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah okay. I yeah, just yeah. want to clarify. Yeah, no, right. I got you. So I'm not trying to say that, like, obviously one person no. cannot t- dismantle the whole military-industrial exactly. complex. Yeah, right. But. But, exactly. But. They can take down Wall Street, though. But, um, no, like, yeah, sorry. I, I'm not joining that to, you know, to take down this, you know, thing that, you know, we call the military. I'm not yeah. doing that. But if I can have, you know, my sphere of influence, you know, some people that, are negatively affected by the military because they don't know anybody that's in the military. They just see right. what's portrayed on the media and the news. Um, if they can look at me and be like, okay, Ryan's serving our country. Ryan's a great guy. Maybe I want, I might want to look at this in a different light. Right. And, and they do, you know, and, and that's not like why I'm doing, you know, that's not necessarily like why I'm doing it, but in terms of that reason, why everybody thinks the military is bad um, or just like, you know, this, this otherworldly figure that we pay so much taxes on that, you know, right. we never really see that just invades other countries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm asking you the loaded questions that need to be asked. Right. Someone who's, cause I think like if anyone, you know, there's going to be people that see you join and, um, hold negative light. To absolutely. This. So I'm asking the question on behalf. And I'm a, you know, I'm a big, I'm like, actually, no, you're absolutely right. And I yeah. appreciate you brought that up because yeah. like one of my, I don't know if you saw my, my self portrait challenge that I was doing. Right. I posted that first photo of me behind me in front of a Marine Corps flag and the United States flag. And I think I lost, oh shit. I think I lost like maybe uh, like 120 followers. Oh wow. Um, because of that. And, and you know, some, you know, some, most of those followers came from TikTok. Yeah. Um, but and, and and I and I hate to say it, but I but I feel like some of those followers like were also my friends growing up, um, mm-hmm. and even some friends from Laverne. Um, but yeah, no, I I posted that photo and like, people, some people said some stuff, but like, it was really just like the unfollows because it was like, oh my god, this guy's joining the military. Right. He's got to be this person. He's got to be like this, right wing, mm-hmm. you know, Trump supporter type of guy, and like. And I'll even come on here and say, like, I, I'm not a Trump supporter. Like, right. I did not vote for Trump. Yeah. Um, but, like, people just view this negative stigma with that entire thing, you know? And, right. But so for me, like, what I want to do is I don't want to change the entire stigma. But, like, if I can teach, especially going in as an officer, if I can teach Marines 
how to do it the Marine Corps way, the original right. way that was taught without any term of bias or negativity, but just the complete professionalism yeah. that the Marine Corps teaches. I want to do it with those guys. Right. And then indirectly with my sphere of influence, with the people that follow me, with the people around me, I want to show them that this is how it's actually done. Yeah. The Gulf of Tonkin is not how it's done. Yeah. The, you know, these, and then, you know, just military police. Well, military policing, you have just the influence of military across the globe. Exactly. And, you know, the over 300 and something bases. I mean, it all connects out, and yeah. those aren't inherently bad. Exactly. But the acts that happen sometimes extracurricularly or the things that aren't actually taught in, and I mean, like, have to wait. Wait, yeah. Have and I think wait. even then, like, um, historically, and I'm going to make a, a generalized statement, but sometimes instructors in these institutions aren't necessarily culturally conscious. No, and not, some no. statements and the way that we've propagandized our enemies have formulated inherent problems that come back home, which, um, which is you know, another, you know, another thing. Yeah. And it, it's just a bunch of issues across the globe of American military being... You get what I'm saying, and that's why I'm Absolutely. bringing out that quite you know, bringing up the critiques and offering yeah. it to you to say <laughs> it's you funny know, what that you, you say. say that, too. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that you say that because like you know you mentioned the Gulf of Tonkin, and then that was just the first one that you right. know, biggest military disaster in which there was manipulation right. of. But it's also like funny that you say that because you know you say Gulf of Tonkin, and then you say like you know people are forced to like you know view these things over there, and then come back home with those same views, and then it even transformed into like rock and roll at that time and like you know pop rock and yeah like popular rock and roll you know well, yeah. countercultures yeah ccr like at that time like it was okay to quote unquote you know not like the vietnamese because of like yeah. the war that we were in and it was okay to be you know like this race is being towards them as shown in like one of like one of the number one hits of the time which was uh fortunate son oh okay okay, you okay know? Yeah. Or, or bruce springsteen yeah um, there was a lot of in that you know but the thing is, though, what I'm saying is that's yeah. a failure of, like, the propaganda which, like, Absolutely. goes out. And I think that's what I'm saying, like, you know, joining an institution that's historically done this and moving forward yeah. with the culture and, like, saying, you even said earlier, like, when you were in Ohio, the COVID was off the headlines. It was headlines about racial in- injustice and different things about the election and yep. politics, sociopolitical politics. Right. You know, like, joining during that time, like, you know... And being culturally aware, I think you are culturally aware, you know, at, you know, at least to some magnitude, Yeah. you know, seeing that and joining, like, we, I guess I want to hear your statement on that and that yeah. you've answered that. You know? I, yeah, it's like, I, I understand it's there and I know I'm not going to be the number one person to, you know, take it out, but. You're taking steps to. I mean. I'm there. It's like, if not me, then who? Yeah. You okay. Know, like, I would say in like a situation like that, you can only affect your sphere of influence. So if you infect your, exactly. in, not infect, but affect. if you affect your sphere of influence in a positive way, that can change other people's sphere of influences, yeah. and then it becomes this bubble effect this of butterfly effect, like yeah. the pollination yeah. effect. You know. Where but yeah. Everyone has well, not everyone, but it's a more positive shift towards. I know. Life. Yeah, and I mean even. You were saying earlier, and you were kind of explaining this, like your plan is not necessarily to go into active duty either. It's to go into the reserves and be teaching leadership and stuff like that. And if you want to explain that further, because I would like to say, because I was giving the critiques, either you believe this fortunately or unfortunately, whatever your political belief is, 
due to the way we've created a larger military, millions of Amer or hundreds of thousands of Americans are employed through reserves and the military. Technology is advanced through research, um, industry leading. To, uh, you know, medicine is sometimes tested. As much as there is this negative stigma of the military, I'm willing to recognize why our defense budget is this unchartered lump sum that goes to military expenditures to where it's divvied out. And I see how, like when you go into this, why this industry is so big and it's actually a job source in some ways. And that's, like I said, fortunately or unfortunately. So I just want to throw yeah. that out there because yeah, I was it is. You know, bombing I mean, earlier. No, it's, it, it's great. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, some people do join because of like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's that other source of income that people like to have because yeah. it is a big job source. Um, but yeah, no, the reason why, you know, I want to go in the reserves is actually goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, the stigma and the reputation of the military, of the military in, in general, mm -hmm. you know, each branch, it, each branch has its own individual reputations, but there's always like the sole representation that is the United States military. Um, and you know, if I can go in, it's almost like that, you know, president, vice president model that we talked about before you have like the circle and the president and vice president are on, like, the line. Yeah. And, you know, the vice president focuses on the in, president focuses on the out. Mm -hmm. For me, as an officer, as a reserve officer, you know, teaching young enlisted members, enlisted Marines that are stationed at Pendleton before they go, if I have an influence on them to be better Marines than they can ever be because I was their teacher, if I was, if I was their DI, then I'm going to be their influence of that inside. Right. And then at the same time, I want to be that reserve officer who goes home to their family, who goes home to their friends and talks about my experiences and talks about my Marines in this great light, knowing that they're going to do the best that they can possibly do defending us overseas. Right. And, you know, and say, hey, these guys are over here so we can have the voices that we have at home. You know, the reason why, like, we can talk and say, like, whatever we want is because we do have these people in faraway places making sure that nobody comes on our turf because we know what happens when a person comes on our turf. Sure. E.g., I don't have to say it, but yeah, like nine eleven, you know, like one of the only yeah. times. Like, so if I can be able to talk about, if I can be able to instill great values into Marines that are still young, 18, 19 year old kids. Yeah. To be the best Marines that they could possibly be at the same time, being at home and making sure, you know, that my sphere knows that, you know, what I'm doing is beneficial to you know, society in general and making sure like, you know, we have our basic freedoms that right. we like, that we can celebrate without even have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Then I know I'm going to be doing, doing a good job as a reserve officer. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to do it. Yeah. So, and I know it's a lot. And, and again, my, my last point on this is like, there's, there's nothing political about what I'm doing, even mm -hmm. though that the military is a politicized, part of politics yeah. yes and like you know i don't know if you ever heard like the the sperm acronym of history but there's always but there's history in like what they call sperm it's like social political economic religious and military mm -hmm. so it's part of it you know politics mm -hmm. and military go hand in hand in terms of history and uh you know i i understand that it's a big part of politics but the way i go into it and the way that i've wanted to go into it has never been a part of politics. It's solely been about the fact of developing young leaders to realize 
within themselves that they can do do greater than they can have ever imagined and from developing myself as a leader and as an educator nothing political about it i mm-hmm. i don't think i think there are political ties to it especially when you bring in you know a congress and a president who is the commander in chief of said military right so there's politics that are brought into it but when you but you know they're at the top they're at this like they're on that pedestal mm-hmm. they see it from the top where they mm-hmm. need to be political about it but like for me where it doesn't really affect me as much and i only affect a, a, a fractional amount of people that are in the military and a fractional amount of people that think about the military in some sort of way i can have this influence that is non-political that is apolitical and only focuses on the leadership aspect of it and mm-hmm. the developmental aspect of it, which is why I want to go into it. Right. Yeah. And you said, uh, so, and you said it, this wasn't like your career, you know. Yeah, exactly. Career. So what, what's the next step after, what, what do you want to gain out of this? And then what's the next step? Um, and Dan, did you have any other? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No? Okay. Yeah. Um, Cause I was going to ask him about his motivation, but you already asked him. About <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, and, and just to keep it short and not to keep, you know, you know, beating the dead horse, but like my motivation from it, um, my motivation to it is to, you know, develop, like, like I said, young leaders, but then, um, my, uh, what I want to do after and what I want to gain from it is being able to take the leadership lessons that one can only learn and not only learn, but execute and perform in the military and take those leadership aspects and leadership ethics into either the private sector, into the public sector, whether it being schools, into the nonprofit sector, and just showing people how to, you know, lead and function as great managers and understanding the need to um, empower their workers and their, you know, not soldiers, but like empower their employees into doing what they want to do not because they're forced to but because they, they want, want to do it they feel as though they're part of the they part of the the part yeah. of the whole they have a piece of the pie that only they themselves can bring towards the entire pie mm-hmm. and if they're not there then that piece can never be filled and i want to make sure like managers know that they can't do everything and they can't just boss them mm-hmm. but they need to understand that these different leadership tactics and like and i don't know that yet because i'm not in the military or in the marine corps yet but hopefully, and what I've learned already, and I know um, that the teachings that I'm going to get within the leadership or within the Marine Corps and what I'm going to execute within the Marine Corps is going to help me when I'm in my 30s and, you know, still technically in the, in the military, yeah. but more so focusing on the private sector and making sure that they, you know, have like those, those traditional values that, you know, aren't, again, political, but just solely based on leadership ethics and right. learning and training that's what i want to do why do you why do you think leadership if, if uh it seems as though that's yeah. been a recurring theme in your life so why Always. is it leadership and then what does leadership mean to you um now like or yeah. at this point in oh time so it'd be different i'm assuming five right years now. no so i think um i think leadership's been like a re and I think why it's a recurring theme right now is because it's just been a recurring theme in my you know theme in my entire life. I'm always, you know, I'm never one to, again talking about the goal and the journey. It's never about the actual goal, but it's about you know how we get to that goal. That that's the, you know, that's like the main juice, like the main squeeze for me. And when I look at that, I realize that leadership has 
one of the biggest sways in terms of me getting like towards my goals that aren't necessarily personal. It's like take photography out of it because photography is just me. Mm-hmm. But like you know, to, like my journey to becoming president, and then you know once I got that, then I realized that it was like my leadership ability to run a golf, you know, run a golf tournament and, you know, delegate out these certain jobs to make this golf tournament happen. Mm -hmm. Um, It was that to get me to become president. And then from president, it was my leadership ability to, you know, delegate certain jobs and certain things to other people while, you know, picking up slack in some sort of ways to make it seem like everything was going fine. Right. Um, To make sure that, you know, we got, you know, a national award um, headquarters wise and then, you know, all those awards, you know, in years later, um, and then me getting Greek man of the year. So like, that was like another goal was like, okay, cool. I got Greek man of the year, but like, let's look back at why I got it. Oh, it was because of, you know, A, B, C, and D where we look good. But in, in reality, when the, when the day to day went by, sometimes it looked very bad. Sometimes right. like it, it looked like I wasn't, you know, we weren't sometimes doing good. nothing was going to happen. Like exactly. everything could collapse under you. So I think that whenever I look back and, you know, and I have a, and Laverne freaking pounds it in your head to always reflect, you know, um, so whenever I reflect, I realize that, like, it always goes back to just different leadership lessons that I learned. And, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, the goals that I got. It wasn't necessarily, like, I, I took all my plaques down from, like, my, from, from my walls because I realized, like, it wasn't the plaque that I wanted. It wasn't the Greek man of the year that I wanted. It was, uh, but when I look back, it was really, like, the leadership, the, the drive for, like, you know, being that solid leader. And, yes, of course, I get made fun of sometimes for you know, acting like it, you know, w- with the voice and the vernacular and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. sometimes, you know, there are those it's moments hilarious. where it is, it, it, yes, sometimes it's fucking funny. <laughs> but then there's, there's those other times where it's like, oh my God, it, like, he's actually serious and like, he's here to like, boost us up and make us better. Right. And that, you know, sometimes like, if you have like that nice half and half, that's, that's like what you want. And as a president, that's what it was. It was that half funny, half serious, but sometimes sometimes they would cross when like, I was wanting mm-hmm. to be serious it was a little bit funny but then also it crossed in the other way where like I was a little more lighthearted, but some people thought I was serious, serious you know so like that's how it was as president but like now going into like the Marine Corps I wanted to be a different half and half where I wanted to be the half and half that I learned in Fidel so that funny serious but then also the half and half that I'm gonna learn in the Marines which is professionalism and then also learning how to, you know, work within a system, uh, an actual, like, built-up system. Like, almost right. like, it's not cast, obviously, but, like, it's a system. So if I combine all of these, it goes back to that encompassing leadership that I wanted to talk about and hopefully write about. Mm-hmm. Is that how can you take all these four aspects of humor, seriousness, professionalism, and system and build them all together and make a perfect organization? See, but I think I would even say you're missing one thing from that. Okay. Compassion. Yeah, that's true. Because I feel like in all of that, compassion comes back to the soul as the leader. Yeah. But it also flows in and ebbs and webs its way through all of those to where, like, you can master humor and seriousness. Mm-hmm. You can master professionalism and then the a rigid, a rigid system. But yet if you don't have the all-encompassing compassion or uh, self-awareness of why you're doing it or, like, to give into it, true. I feel like that would be something... That like you may have even mastered it, or it may be a quest that comes on later. You know, um, it could be either one of those. I no, I I, I don't think I mastered. It. I, I don't think yeah. I can ever master anything. Right. But like I do, I think that compassion has always been in whatever I do, which mm-hmm. is why I never thought of it as like a actual characteristic that I want to put in like this, you know, yeah. kind of aspect. Is because like even when I'm funny, 
I'm compassionate. Yeah. Even when I was dead serious and like, in, especially in like big situation, like there was that one secrecy meeting that we had. I remember where like <laughs> I was, I was legitimately like pissed and I, I've never been more mad in my entire life than like that moment right there. But at the end of the day, when I walked out of that, like I still knew that like I loved each and every one of those guys and I, and I understood you know, what was happening. And even if somebody like coughed up and it was them, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be throwing punches at them. And I would, yeah. you know, like I would still understand and I would seek to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I'm, I think that there's so much to learn about right. compassion and, and bringing it in. But I think that just me as a person without taking leadership into it, if you just break down me as a person, I, I'd like to say I'm like somewhat compassionate and, yeah. and just like, you know, not, super hard-headed all the time and yeah not, like not and like not not no no i would stuff. agree i agree but i appreciate I just, you bringing that up because that just, I, I didn't bring it up and i've never brought it up i've never yeah. i've never put that into my i've never put that into like my leadership arsenal because i never thought of it as one as a part of my leadership arsenal yeah. it's always just been a, something that's been me mm-hmm. that i've never thought that i it's something that, that came out yeah well i think it's it comes not empathy comes natural that's to some people and I think it, people empathize more to where, like, they watch someone on TV fall and they twinge, you know? And I think that that's something, like, that's a different level of empathy. But, like, compassion can be recognized and taught. And some yeah. people, like, like, some people could go their whole life and never realize that every characteristic about them, um, they could just be called nice or whatever. That's, yeah. a, that's really compassion in leadership, you know? Like, some of those you know like michael scott right people say he wasn't a good boss yet throughout the tv show and it's not realistic in that aspect but they somehow turned a profit what was one of his leadership thing his skills was that he cared so much about everyone that it was more about them all succeeding that even when he couldn't do something he would try to lie his way out of it you know as much as he could not to hurt any one of them but at the end of the day like you've seen in the show he had to make yeah. Shitty decisions. decisions. You know, they kept that reality of leadership. And that's why in the end, I think that's why, you know, it's a show and you can you can you don't have to look too far into it, but he was a shitty boss until the end when they experienced job hiring and someone else that they realized that the boss no boss after that really cared or had the compassion that he had. You know, does that make sense? I love that. Shitty example, mm-hmm. but No, it's not. It's like it it truly shows that no matter how hard-headed somebody can be or no matter how mm-hmm. scared you are of like said boss or no matter how nice they could be at the end of the day if you miss that person like no matter what you know that yeah. they care for you in some mm-hmm. sort of and, way and it's that other role too of the boss has to be all those other characteristics yeah. but if they're naive to caring about the people then they're never going to actually be a true leader you know and that's what's, I feel like that's what separates a good teacher from like a, you know, whatever a mediocre teacher, teacher. A mediocre yeah. teacher is that like, do you only care about what you teach or do you actually care about the students that you teach to? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where that compassion comes into. And, and I think that that might've been like you know, one reason why I feel like I've had all the time is because like, that's been like the, the drive that I've had since high school, even like, um, pre-military pre-leadership you know development all that kind of stuff is that like I wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to make sure that I was in that position 
other than somebody else that did not know how to teach and care for their students because I've had that and I've hated it. But I've also had the, the compassionate teacher that makes you want to become a teacher. Right. So mm-hmm. I feel like if there was one more of me in the world, there would be one less poor teacher that is going to kill a student's desire to learn. Right. So yeah. maybe that has been you know a part of my life. Maybe it hasn't been you know, tapped as much as I wanted it to because mm-hmm. it hasn't been, you know, on the conscious. It's more been in the pre-conscious. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, that, like, those, like, the challenges you've right. listed, you've recognized. That one yeah. you've had with the recognition and leadership. Now, yeah. maybe since, maybe since it's brought up, it might actually come more yeah. to thought. But even, like, you may, may have been t- five years down the line, you could have had one experience True. and that would have been, you know, you could have recognized it then. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you this then, since you were, you know, under me as president, like as if I was, and as I was president during you coming in Fido, like not only was you being a part of Fido, but like you're joining Fido and I'm the president, you know, and then you're one semester in having positions with me being president. How did you feel with me being president? We'll see. Okay. I feel as though I'm an unjust person to ask because I had a, like a pre-existing like relationship with you and i guess so some fidelts do you know like they saw you as a you know regular bro or whatever and elevate up i saw you already as an owl who like um somewhat of a leader somewhat of a leader like the first uh, hoffman was the first one of the first people i met on campus because when i went into my small group little it's called a flex group he was the leader of that group so that's how i saw you so i recognized you there so seeing you as the president you know, it didn't, and I had a class with you in Brantley. We had one class before that, and um, you spoke well, and we talked a few times. You know, you sat behind me, um, but it was rare, you know, and I remember hearing you in class. So to me, it all kind of made sense. Seeing your leadership style, it was always, uh, to me, it was like you're an administrator, and you weren't the one that, uh, to me, like for me, I didn't feel like uh, this is the president I'm going to go to if I have a like a uh, like unless my problem is actually like fucking important, I'm not gonna bother this guy. Right. And that's why I felt like I navigated it. But then when I would talk to you about things, they usually were important shit. But then stuff. Then it elevated into just shit talking about whether it be history or whatever is going on. You know what I mean? Like that's how it was. So you know, serving you know in a position under you. Um, Literally, like you believed in the people. That was it too. And you always said, uh, "I'm, you know, it's chapter's decision. It's chapter's voice." And one of the the weirdest things. It's like almost like a constitutional crisis. But like in our bylaws, if there's a tie in the vote, the president has to break the vote. And Ryan had always said, "I never want like he would never meant say anything because in discussion unless it was." Of, of importance to the like the whole chapter mm-hmm. so when that time came that's what was really your defining moment you know or watching you have to break what you'd said the whole time or your whole philosophical value on our fraternity yeah. to make a decision and you you gave and then when you you know to be as lenient whatever as i can right. before you even submitted the vote you said i don't i wish i didn't have to do this I believe it should have been chapter's choice, but if I have to do this, this is how it goes. And obviously then we knew how it went, but no one, everyone respected your decision because we understood that. And me also doing the positions I did where the position that I was before was literally nothing, converting it into something that I felt 
benefited the chapter in multitude of ways. Just those characteristics showed your leadership skills to recognize that it's about the growth of the people in the org and you were the maintaining and creating the vision and helping at all costs implement, protect, and uh, execute those goals. I like that. That's how I saw it. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I, I yeah. remember that fucking day. Yeah. It was a long day. And I just remember... Two, I two mean, times. In two one day. One day. But the one first day. one, the first the one was the one. more, like, dramatic one. Fucking big one. It was, what, Fayette. Yeah, and I uh, I know... Yeah, I won't say it. Never mind. We'll start. Yeah, it was Fayette. What? Well, I was just going to say, I think that that discussion was so debated. Holy shit. And, I, you know... I don't think these people care, but I like the person I voted for was not the person you vote you chose. Really? Okay. But at the same time, like that's not something I'd go up to you and be like, "Oh, why you know why did you do this?" But see, the thing I is, like, people came the, up to me though. But that's that's what right. I'm saying. There's the difference in like the idea of like yeah. I respected that you made your decision off that with the people I know that I was arguing with or we right. felt the same way. Right. We talked about it and we're like, damn, like. It kind of sucks that Hoffman did this, but at the same time, like, it, it didn't go our way, but that's the b- vote. We didn't win, and we have to support, we're all brothers, we have to support, and it was not, it's, oh, that sucks, but, okay, next thing, right. let's see how this person does, and motivate them, and, and then I was on helping that person, it, you know, there was they no negative animosity, I mean, yeah. it was just the person I wanted to fill that position didn't, that get, point, it. didn't get it, yeah. Yeah. and then they ended up doing it, so... You know, yeah. it all, you know, everything all does that, but that's what I'm like saying. I like that. I know. I, I appreciate it. Basically, like, what happened was, you mm-hmm. know, there was this, there was this vote for, for an executive board position and, and arguably the, the third most important position in the entire chapter as opposed from president, vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, it came down to a tiebreaker, which has never happened in... Well, like that weed scene. Yeah, exactly. Never, which, and that's what I'm saying, which, which has never happened in the generation of the people that were active at that time. Mm-hmm. Never happened. Yeah. So... That was like five years collectively, though. It's it's been Damn. yeah, which is like yeah. five years collectively, mm-hmm. exactly. So when it happened, and the the voice was evidently given to me, I like Armand said, I I I, I was always the one, cause, and I, I learned this from Gray was to never be involved in the decision. You're only there to facilitate <clears throat> the decision because, as a president, if you say your voice on one like on one side of the of the decision, that other side is gonna feel this overwhelming toll of like okay well the number one person in the rule is yeah. in the room is against me it's yeah. now i'm fucked you yeah. know so i never wanted anybody to feel like that because i wanted to make sure everybody had a voice mm-hmm. but when it came down to this particular vote it literally came to me i we, we took like a 15 20 minute recess yeah. mm-hmm. because i needed to figure out like what i wanted to say but and and i appreciate you saying that because i never thought about it in that kind of light the only the one the one reason why I was totally okay with the decision that I made because oh my god I want to say six seven people came up to me mm-hmm. and was like and was like what are you gonna do you should vote this person you should vote this person and I was like okay this is get away from me because I need to figure this out mm-hmm. when I when I voted I didn't just put in my vote mm-hmm. I made sure I brought everybody back in the room and and I sat there and I told them why I was doing what I was doing and why I voted for that person. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a over the shoulder willy nilly, you know, okay, I'm voting for this person because I think this, because of what you guys talked about. It was like, 
it was negatives and positives of both people that took like I want to say five ten minutes of like yeah. fully explaining mm. it and then dropping in my vote. To and, yeah, and the politics actually of the fight out. And I'll say this: it right. was the old guard versus the new guard. It really was. That mm-hmm. was what happened. And and Hoffman is generally the younger member of the older heads, as mm-hmm. you could say, the older generation that was in. Like if you want yeah. to separate it, and I was definitely one of the. You know, it was like me, Parnell, kind of, you know, Chase. Like, change up the guard. We were kind of like guys. the older, Miguel, we were like the older ones that were like very vocal. Part of the new generation. And so yeah. it kind of came down to the vote of philosophies of new and old. And it wasn't anything that was that different. It's just the votes came down to old and new. Yeah. And Hoffman being the president was actually dead in the middle of age if you want to say politics the philosophies, the philosophies of, both. of both and it was like that's why the decision was uh contested and that's why like it showed true leadership because we all left that room and as much as like um you know and the thing is, is when the two people walk in the room everyone you know that whole like conversation is wiped away mm-hmm. it should be and obviously it wasn't exactly Mm-hmm. But the point of it was, and that the two people that left, there was no negative animosity between them. And the, like, I feel like for me, even though I was definitely leading the opposition, mm-hmm. um, if you could say like that lost, it's not like I was that mad because in the end of the day, we're all brothers. We're, you know, you are your brother's keeper. You are, you know, you mm-hmm. live in, you breathe these values. You shouldn't be that mad because you should believe in your own bro to accomplish what we put them in charge to do. Yeah, and then you had to break another one. I don't know. It was some fucking stupid IFC one. It was versus, like, what, you and Miguel with, like, oh, IFC delegate. probably. And I was like, dude, Armand's got, like, 50,000 positions. I'm giving this one a fucking mic. <laughs> Honestly. Like, like I mean, it was it was more than that. Because I yeah. remember, it, that one was at Barclay, and I was like, oh, fuck, not again. And, yeah. uh... Um, and I didn't even, like, I said I would, like, my thing is, is, like, when I got to, like, a position like that, like, I was like, I can do it, because it's, it's not that, it's not difficult yeah, for us. Mm-hmm. But I was like you know but me and miguel both are like the same like at the time at the, the time same, you guys are the same fucking same person. fucking build yeah. yeah like we were just like we just we was had, too so uh that's why like and and i i joke about it now because of the extent of the first one that happened mm-hmm. um was was pretty big um but i i still i still did it to the same dichotomy and the same structure and layout that I did the first one, just it was a lot less it was, like it was a much like the, the value first. of the position yeah. is yeah. that like a lot that less. really came into play. Yeah. That was the only part of the thing that changed because like, this position is actually like essentially I mean, sets the tone for each year. Yeah. Exactly, it does. Yeah, because so. they they're in charge of bringing in the new the newest of guard in terms yeah. of like how how mm-hmm. ready they are to be a five dealt. And mm-hmm. with this with this other one, it was honestly at the time a fucking place place filler because nothing was happening with the nothing IFC was happening yeah so mm-hmm. it was literally like just hold it it was filling yeah it was like so ryan don't take you know as much time giving a 10 minute speech of and we'd already been there for someone. 10 hours it was too. long yeah, yeah so i was so. like you know what and and i and miguel and mike and armand were like the same person i remember saying this too i was like hey like if there's something happening with an ifc mike will have the vote but armand will be there to give a like a reason or decision if he wants to be there you know mm-hmm. it's just who has the vote anybody can be yeah an that's that was the thing is like that was the vote just the voting position but like i think i was the alternates like the you thing, were still there something yeah like it was just you know it was more the fact of having both of our voices that's there right. in the end. no that's that's exactly why i chose mike because at that time you were vice president because you haven't yeah 
Yeah. So our mom was already going to be in the room as vice president. Mm-hmm. Whether you had a vote or not, you're still going to be in the room. Yeah. Um, and it was more like the idea of just give Armand the vote and just have like, because no one exactly. goes to the meetings anyways. Exactly. But then so, it made sense to do Mike. Mm-hmm. So, it was dumb. So if, if Mike, so if, if I chose Mike, Mike would have the obligation to be there, which would make him feel like he had to be there mm-hmm. rather than just randomly show up because he wanted to, which honestly yeah. with IFC at that time, nobody wanted to do. And then the problem before that was, is that there was th- three or four people that were all running on the vote. So like it nope. just came down to two without anyone outside ever knowing. Mm-hmm. Like we were all just sitting out there. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody yeah. looked at me and started laughing again because like they're like only Hoffman that this would fucking happen. The one person that <laughs> never says anything in meeting that yeah. actually has to do anything with what's being said mm-hmm. has to make a decision. Yeah. It's so funny, and and I'm I'm not gonna lie, like and and I think Armand said it best, and I said it all the time. It's like I never ever had an opinion as a president, only if it directly impacted the the reputation and the stance of the chapter mm-hmm. in terms of the outside forces because yeah. that was my job mm-hmm. yeah. to let people know that. Other than that, I never said anything because I never wanted to sway a single side. Yeah. I feel like every side had a had a voice. But uh but that moment of of course, you know, God willing, I had to make a decision. And yeah. to some people, especially like the older people that just were like my pledge class that never had like a responsibility anymore, mm-hmm. just laughing their ass off. They're like, yeah. of course, like, of course, of course yeah. he has to do it. He never um, made, yeah. made a decision in his life. It was, it, was a, it was a funny time. Yeah. In retrospect, then I was fucking like oh, shitting yeah, bricks. Was, yeah. I was trying to make a decision, you know, but, but we, we ended up, we ended up paling out all right. Yeah, I, I think both people that ran ended up being Fayette. Next semester, yeah. 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 So I just, it, it's just a testament. I, again, a testament of like it, the it, changing of the guard. And it was sense. literally like, the, it's just like we, I think everyone saw how everything went and the person that ran was also willing to do it again. And it, it was the same. I like, obviously I was the VP. So I was a huge, like, I was like, hey, that you was should do uh, Yeah. Up. And I was like, hey, you should do this. And, uh, well, he was actually, it was before I was VP, I was saying you should do it. And then I got elected at the summer, you know, I got re- oh, whatever. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, okay. uh, so, you know, our, I was warden at the time, you know, so we were, Still me and Chase, though, yeah. so we, we were watching, you know, and it was like that idea of like getting the best people and that worked out so well. And because even it was even better because the old guard had kind of phased out in it, it some way. Out. I was, me and Spencer were like the, really the only ones left at the old guard. So it became that like. What ended up happening was it was just a transition, and and that sometimes happens. Like yeah. with with and you know and with leadership too, I think that was like a defining thing. And like it takes, yeah. uh, you probably took a lot of what you learned up to that point to be able to excel in that. And I think me yeah, and Justin, you know, we've had Justin on. Justin was president after you. Yep. We've talked about it. Like we've always said, Hoffman laid the foundation of like telling us like what to do. He set the standard of like the administration that we walked in and all we had to fix was the inside. And, you know, Justin did excellent at handling the outside to his best of ability. And we talked about it on one last point <laughs> about handling the hate crime, all that. Yeah. And but meanwhile, as though, you know, the inside we worked really hard at getting everyone to be on the same level, you know, moving that. And I think that's, that is the test. If you want to look at, you asked me my Fidel, you know, thing, the testament of your leadership was not your term. You have to really look at like how much you set up Justin to, uh, to see him succeed as well. And to see 
really at the end of that, his term, like if I could tell you like walk, how you felt walking into a, a, a meeting, like it's, it was amazing, bro. Like we would at laughing, listening to music. Um, there was not many arguments ever. Like people were just riding. Like it really felt like everyone enjoyed coming to meeting. You know, that was, that is really like, you know, like you know, that. one term, you know, they always say a four-year presidency, you can't get enough done. Right. One year presidency, you really can't. So that's what I would say that you I'm set, glad. you set it up for the next generation he to, influenced it. yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. And some, well, I mean, we did a lot of things that you didn't, like we did the opposite of a lot of things you did <laughs> for sure. Like that was definitely some things we said, like, we're like, okay, we're going to focus on this rather than this, but at the same time, it was easier to accomplish the things you set up. Just we, the, our energy was rather focused on the executive level at those things. You made it easier to accomplish those things single-handedly rather than taking up, you know, 90% of your time, which yeah. is which I know yeah. you did. You handled you a lot of shit behind the doors. You that, guys had a, a president-vice president combination. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm happy yeah. that you guys had it. And I don't think that... You know, and you you might have you guys might have done stuff that wasn't um that wasn't like what I specifically did. Yeah, but it was it was influenced. Right, right. And it was because you guys didn't have to worry about that yeah. sort of stuff that you guys can allocate more time to the stuff that I was not exactly. able to allocate. Which at the time, you know, it wasn't that I never wanted to do it. So I never had any like time to do it and i know we and i know we talked about like you know before we make time for the stuff that we want to do but Mm -hmm. genuinely like Mm -hmm. there is no way that we could do said things that you guys got were able to accomplish without doing this stupid nitty-gritty yes and that's that's what we've respected and like you know and we used to say like like you know we would joke like oh well hoffman could get it done by himself you know what i mean like or hoffman did it by himself like yeah let you know hate to throw whatever but like we would see the effort like you'd be working two you know two different jobs you know running around on campus and still be helping at a an event then come to meeting the next morning you know what i mean that's what we mean like you were doing all of that right you know if hoffman could do it we you know, we could it, do it. Me and Justin, you know, and Justin did a lot of shit by himself too. But yeah, he did. You know what I mean? Like, it just saying, like, we could do it. That was the mindset. So I'm happy about that. Yeah. A hey, question: We we don't have to stay along on it. Honestly, it's like a one answer. But like, if I ran for Phi Ed, do you think I would have been like Phi Ed? What semester? Spring nineteen, like post presidency. No. You don't think so? I mean, you probably would have made the chance, and like you definitely could have. Like I told you to run, you just did because because huh? I because you were like, oh, I'm done, and I'm like, that doesn't I mean did, anything. Yeah, I did say that, but I don't think you would have. And I think looking back on it, I hate not to like speculate. You could have been a great fight. Yeah, but uh, the person who did it that semester literally transformed everything after to where I, I, me and him talked about what we wanted to do. And eradicated a lot of things and uplifted a lot of things to modernize it as well as like make Jack. that pro no oh that semester yeah spring oh, nineteen oh, you're talking about Chase no that was Chase yeah yeah no I'm not talking about Chase oh yeah you should have done Jeff you <laughs> okay that, that yeah, was like yeah, I, I, I was gonna say I, I, I think talking about Chase no bro. no that so that was fall nineteen okay I, I was fall nineteen oh that makes so much more sense yeah no, I was like, spring, do you think yeah, yeah, do you, I, oh yes. saying, do you think I, I could have beat out I definitely think you should have. Okay. Because what would have, or Chase would have won. 
because of you, the old people splitting their votes on you. And then if right. they, like if someone would have slid in and you right. never know how that, the vote tallies out. But yeah, no, okay. you would have had a chance. Okay. I told you to do it then. You did. You did. I even okay. told you to do like I guess that was your last one. Yeah, that was my. I keep yeah. fu- fucking up all the Fall dates. 19, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, you should have. Okay, cool, cool. I mean, you would have had the funniest class. It's Fairpods, Isa, Ryan <laughs> King, and Korea. Shit, that's right. That's why it's the it's like the like. That was Jeff, spring nineteen. Yes. Holy shit! We only had four in spring. That's great. Yeah, you're right. Oh my god. No. See. It was fucking... Uh, no, because my... Yeah, because your last semester... So I got in. That was your first semester. Okay. Then your presidency was my second. So you would have had your third... No, Fairpods was fall uh, fall 18. Okay. So, so spring, spring was... McGee. McGee, Groot. McGee, That was Andrew Chase. Gutierrez. Oh, was that Chun? That was Chun. Oh, that's Chun. Yeah, so, before that. I'm fucking up everything. So, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been good then. What was it? Tyler McGee, Andrew Gutierrez, Marwan... Renee, Ian. Renee, Ian. Oh, yeah. That would have been my group. Yeah. No, you could have done that one group. That would have been funny. Yeah, I think so. I think I would have been a good dynamic. You, you know just, what? I mean, Jeff, just Jeff, as long Jeff as you would have job. said hang out with each other, then you'd been good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? At the end of the day, Jeff did a great job. Yeah. I just, like, that was always the one thing on my mind. And I, I knew, like, even to this day, like, if you were to ask me, like, rerun, I still wouldn't. Because yeah. I, I think, like, the job of the president, you know, was really good. And now I needed to... Not necessarily leave Fidel or by any means, but mm-hmm. definitely take that step back and, and see how that tra- transition would play out, and then help if needed, you know. Yeah. Um, and be and like being not being at Fayette, which meant meant that I was out of the e board, and like now you guys can function with the entire yeah. new e board, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it felt it felt nice to to not be a part of it, but still like you know be there with Eric and Josh to make sure everything's still kind of you know. <laughs> went well especially when you guys had to deal with what you had to deal with because then it was it was to the point where you guys can still focus on the things that you wanted to without having to worry about the the day-to-day plans that needed to happen say you know club fair um volleyball you know whatever like we did you know yeah we wanted to make sure you guys can still handle like what you needed to handle without making sure without having those groups see the satisfaction of us collapse yeah mm-hmm. which felt no, really good which felt really good but yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah, hindsight, you know, you can always reflect, think you could have done it, but you did the best you could then, and that's all that you can do. And, I, and honestly, like, and I'm still happy I, I didn't do it. Yeah. Um, and, like, not only I'm happy, like, I don't regret, I, I also, I don't really regret anything. I mean, even the negative stuff that's happened in my life, I don't regret because I think they're learning lessons, and I wouldn't be the person I am today without the negatives that happened in my life. Definitely. But, um, the, the fact that I, you know, I was never fired, I still think it's, I still like I'm so happy with my decision to like not run and and have yeah. Jeff be that fight because I think even though you know some of the guys did not want Jeff to be it, um I think he laid the groundwork to be the last of the old guard to let Chase come in and not feel any sort of obligation yeah. to the old guard. Yeah, I think it really. So, uh, like it, yeah, it was a good transition. I think it it did a lot of. And I think it was really uh, Chun did a, a decent job in making sure that the uh, in teaching what he wanted to teach I eventually agree. got through. You know, I agree. I think coming back, especially with having like the spring class and like and like no dirt on Austin um, for like anything that he did, but like I think the spring class, my is, class, yeah, I think but just any spring class is always going to be like 
it, no fight is ever like more important than any other but like the spring class always holds a little bit more weight than a fall class does yeah. um and and the fact that like you know chun kind of put in play put back in place the the traditions that you know should be in place but mm-hmm. then was a little bit more relaxed in order for chase to switch what he wanted to switch yeah i think was like one of the perfect molds i've ever seen mm-hmm. you know even from chun which is like really really cool to see yeah. so yeah that's the i guess that that's the fidel bit yeah but um but no i i appreciate that i appreciate what you said and and it's crazy looking back because i was that was two years ago yeah i was present two years ago almost three years ago. shit 2018, 20, three years ago, I was yeah. president actually. Not even two now. Some bitch. Yeah, three years ago. You're getting old, bro. We're all getting old. I don't like yeah. that. We're all gonna die soon. We are. <laughs> that's crazy, bro. That's crazy. What the hell? All right. Well, that was a good time, though. Yeah. That was. What's up, Dan? What's up, Dan? Nothing. I was Missing just seeing your voice. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no I, you're listening. I, I was wondering what your thoughts on it. If you had any thoughts. No, on I would say what I was thinking was that even though I just met you today, that I could definitely see that you are one of those driven people that is a good leader. That people need to be a leader um, because there's a lot of people that don't have the same motivations that you do, and that I think that the type of leader and like the leading style that you're talking about where you allow the people to talk instead of you controlling what they're thinking is what is is like the most like important factor of being a leader and one of the things that we need to be looking for more into a leader instead of having someone where they just tell you what you should be thinking instead of uh allowing people to say what they want to what they think and then debating so, um, definitely like, especially with your uh, military, I always just have a respect for people that have that drive to join that. Plus, uh, with what you've been talking about this entire day, it's always been like, it's for me, it's been like, wow, this dude's very like some, like a good leader. And I definitely think you're going to be successful yeah. just yeah. from like today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Wow. That, that's high praise. That makes me feel happy. Um, I have another question, I guess. Who who do you think was the most impactful leader or the most the biggest role model as a leader? It could be someone you haven't met even. That that like would be has yeah. had the biggest impact on, on, on you. On yeah, as someone who's yeah. It's a good question. That's a that's a I'm gonna ask you after too, so be yeah, ready. Please do. Oh I was gonna I was gonna get to yeah. Oh my god. Um Angela Merkel. What's up? I just yelled, I just yelled a foreign prime minister. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no, um, no, yeah, I got you. I, I know I don't want any dead dead silence. No, no it's all right. Don't worry um, about it. But uh, I think, and I honestly, oh my god, and I, it it is. I, I think there's three. I there's three people that of like whose texts and writings and stuff yeah. like that really like molded like me myself. Um, one of them, I hate saying it now because it's very famous now, but like Alexander Hamilton. Um, another one is uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And then another one was um, John Locke, actually. Okay. Uh, Locke and Montesquieu kind of like mixed together in a sense. And honestly, like, and now that I'm thinking about it, um, 
it really kind of goes back to like my thesis and like you know the, the reasons like why I think but, like I like Hamilton and I and I love like what he kind of did because he like you know he rose up in the ranks took and this is like more of like the military side too military like leadership side is that like you know he used what he learned and he used like his like he used he was able to read and write and you know he kept doing it he kept doing it, he kept doing it and when he kept doing it he mastered it and and he was able to get certain jobs because he was a great orator and a great scribe that's why he became Washington's aide-de-camp is because he was able to write really well and mm. portray what Washington wanted on the front, which is why he started as aide-de-camp and then promoted to, you know, um, command, like commander. But, uh, so, like, that's why I like Hamilton. Um, the reason why I like Teddy Roosevelt is because of just his, um, his leadership within the Rough Riders is the exact same leadership that I want in, like, the Marine Corps is to be able to give off to these guys the one the professionalism to the sigma and then you know three to make sure they feel that they want to do it rather than me forcing it down their throat because every rough rider wanted to be the best at their game and if i can right. really make that you know the the mission of my guys then i know that they're going to do a really great job which is why the rough riders are so you know influential and honestly we're like the very first part of like the new york city like police system which right. is really cool too yeah um and then lastly, Block of Montesquieu is on the more like the philosoph- um, you know, the philosophy side or the philo- philosophical side of it, of making sure everybody has like their voice and making sure that that voice isn't interrupted by another section of, you know, society. Where Montesquieu, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of like separation of powers, you know, he was able to make sure that this one power was still able to talk, even though the um, but also at the same time, not talk loud enough to where another power, where he would check another power. Everybody had like, you know, um, these voices that would able to contribute to society. And even though, you know, you weren't being checked, you also respected the fact that you can, you know, that you can't like check somebody else. And and it's like this recurring cycle. Mm -hmm. I love that. And then Locke, obviously just with being able to positively disrupt. I love like the the word of positive disruption. Yeah. You know, being able to go into like the you know, this sort of like being able to take down, you know, like not like a leader, but like but a leader at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can take down this leader if that leader is not contributing to like the, the forward part of society. So like if you as a collective, like if say, you know, not like a and honestly in these days and kind of growing it looks it looks like Muni and, you know, in the definitive terms, in the mm. denotation of it, it really is Muni. Like, to, to you know, take down a person who's not a superior tyrant who isn't doing what they should be doing for society, but at the same time, like, if you're a good leader and you know that the people under you are not, like, are not in a great state, then that might be, you know, time for you to step down as a leader peacefully and let, like, these people come up. And, like, right. the way, like, Locke said that was, like, more of a, as opposed to Hobbes, more of like a positive disruption where like it can go like a little bit more smoothly. And I've Mm -hmm. always liked that. You know, it's like if I've always seen like a leader above me or if I'm that leader myself, I'm okay with stepping down because I know that people under me aren't being, you know, aren't, you know, being the people that they need to be because I'm not the leader for them. Right. And I'm okay with stepping down with that. So like all those three people are like the most influential people in my life because... I use all those like influences to make 
this like my leadership style in a sense so you're combining the the essence of yeah, all of them to create really one am. superior form of leader which is the leadership mentality that all-encompassing leadership yeah. i was talking about yeah. before just in a different way molded within people rather than values mm-hmm. but yeah what do you who, who would you say dan well while ryan was talking about it it was really hard for me to think about like actual people because um when i was when i was younger it was like i didn't really talk that much i've talked about this before where i was more shy Mm -hmm. um but for me the people that i like the leaders that i saw were and it's gonna sound kind of cringy but it was in like star wars it was in like no i don't think so at all i was gonna say i think like movie characters yeah uh, in like and like like captains of like teams were like were like how Tom Brady is now yeah. where he posts on Instagram where he's like inspiring his work his teammates to do better mm-hmm. or like how Obi-Wan Kenobi was like teaching Anakin to be good but he like he did all of these where it was hard for Anakin to like do it but he was trying his hardest because he believed in these people right and then Love like that. leaders where they're where they allow I can't even think of right now because there were so many things that inspired yeah. me into what I think a good leader is today and what I try to be. What do you think is a good leader then? Talk about it's, that mentality. Like what what it, what would you say are the characteristics of a good leader? Uh for me when I when I am like in positions of a leadership role, I try to allow since I know the feeling of not being able to voice my opinions as much as when I was younger, um, I always tried to allow the, everyone to voice their opinions. I always tried to have it as fair as I can. Mm-hmm. I never tried to use things to get above people. I like. I really liked how you were saying where you let the people in your chapter talk and then you wouldn't say anything until... Like, you really had to because that's what a leader should do. It should be listening. And I try to listen to the people around me to see what they think, use their opinions to formulate opinion. Even if mine's different, it can encompass some of their stuff while it still gets my objective there. So I think that um, as a leader, you have to have opinions. You have to be able to – opinions that are strong – but you also have to be able to change those opinions based on what the team around you wants mm-hmm. because that's what they think is best. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, and if the organ, cause if you don't have the organization behind you that, that has your support while you have this opinion and they're doing something else, that's not a good leader. Yeah. So I think that you have to be able to change your opinions in a sort of window or be able to understand when your time or your opinion is done. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to listen to everybody. And even if they're, even if it's like someone that's not of popular opinion, you still have to listen to what they say because they still matter. And you have to be able to put yourself on the front lines of anything, <coughs> sorry, of anything no that you need, uh, that you would put your team through. You have yeah. to be able to put yourself through anything that your team, that any of the people below you will do also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, those are really good like embodiments of a leader. I definitely yeah. think... I like that. I definitely think relating it to Hoffman and my like experience with you know saying what Daniel brought, I think like that idea of like seeing them not... Uh, seeing them be able to do 
the hard, the hardest or like what's below them because the president is above collectively it's it's obvious you Much know what as I mean we, like, yeah, make a yeah. of, you know um, what I, but it is yeah, it's that power it's that power it's that respect it's that entity of representation of the collective fraternity yeah, yeah. but as much as like Ryan did famously say the quote you know I'm not on the ground floor um, I took it and what I what I was gonna say is I always told Ryan I, I, we don't want you to be on the ground floor as in like recruiting when he first said it mm. the point was is like he said it also one time when, and this is when it actually, when I kept repeating it, he said it one time when we were talking about, like, a joke that was going on from the Fidelts, and it was a pretty prominent, like, inside joke. Mm. Hoffman didn't get it, so I explained it to him, and he's like, oh, you know, like, blah, 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 and he laughed because it mm. made sense when you, because it was a story, you know, it involves all that. Mm. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I'm just not on the, you know, I'm not out here, I don't see it, and then I brought up the ground floor thing. And I always said, though, is he, you know, the only thing yeah. that you could have done better and like, only thing was been more of a bro's bro. Like, be yeah. there, you know, like, in those, the <laughs> fun parts. And, yeah. like, he was there, you know, some the sometimes, for, like, for the major fun things, he was always there. But, like, those little nights out when, like, you know, yeah. like, there's 15 of us going to get, like, King's Taco at, one, you know, 1 a.m. And you yeah. have commuters there. You knew Hoffman, you know, might not come, even if you know whatever. Yeah. So there was, was a lot where, of things like that. That was where the relationship, that was, like, the one point where, like, I, at that time, I felt that I can sacrifice a little of to give that, like, to, you know, to, 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 other, to other people to, and to, to other, other you know, important not, things in your life, yeah. Not making that as an excuse, but it it goes to show, like, what happened spring 19 of me getting out of a relationship yeah and then finally being what somewhat felt like not catching up but just whatever i could do as a bro's bro yeah in spring 2019 and 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 it felt that and you could see ryan obviously in his last semester was doing all that but what i was gonna say is that was my only critique right in that sense but not only or limiting that that was such a small thing or a small complaint because <laughs> yeah. he also would be on the if any event was going on with philanthropy with with recruitment with everything he was there mm. whether it be for the whole exact time that that was all, not always promised you know there was always a late coming and he would dip out early because he had a million things to do mm. but that was his life but he was there and that's something that also even though he may not have been there out on the nights where we're, you know, drinking beers and playing video games at <laughs> Angel's house, mm. he was there the next morning when we all woke up hungover. He was there just as tired because he was out golfing at four at the, you know four thirty <laughs> yeah, at sunrise. Some kind of shit, so yeah. it was like he may have been doing that, but he you know, and he was golfing with like he, he networks while he golfs. He's made mm. all these different things, you know. By doing all these little like random you know endeavors, going to a photo you know photograph the sunrise, mm-hmm. you know surf whatever, True. you know it's all these different things. But then he was at the we were hungover after a long night of laughing and just messing around, mm-hmm. you know, and he was doing other things. But he was there with us and he was still sharing the laughs. And even though we were hungover, he felt the same way. So it was all <laughs> like we were the same. Yeah. Just about you yeah. know. Yeah. So it was like uh, you know in the end, uh, he was still there, and I think mm-hmm. that was something that. Uh, was a critique of mine going back to the original statement but you also led by how Daniel said that is something that is so important in leadership that we didn't mention is Mm. being able to work just as hard or do what the people below you 
you know, have yeah. to do. Yeah, I always, like, I always see the best leaders as, like, more of, like, a captain, I would say, where mm-hmm. it's, like, that he's still playing in the game with you, but he's just leading you to become better and putting mm-hmm. you in the position to be better than what you could have been if you weren't in that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're still in the competition to drive for it. Yeah, you're still the quarterback throwing to the wide receiver. Because mm-hmm. yeah. without the quarterback, the wide receiver can't catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Without the catcher, the pitcher has nowhere to throw the ball. True. The catcher's usually the captain. Captain, yeah. 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 You, had, you look like you had a thought on the mind. No, actually, it's my phrase. I've never thought about it like that, ever. Yeah. Ever. But no, and and it's funny that it's a critique of yours. It's That's always been... Um, I mean, it was solved, too. You know, that was just what I right, told you. Right, like, just yeah. as, like, the And that was my advice to Zach, the first thing, is because he, you know, he asked, like, whatever I said. Don't get swamped. Just, I'm like, just sense. the only thing I'll say is don't let the all that stuff forget that you at heart join this to be in a brotherhood. And yeah. don't remember that you're a bro at the end of the day. Exactly. That when we put on your letters at the end, that's why we're all the same. Yeah. You know, don't forget to be a bro. That's exactly. what I told him. And no, I, and, and it's funny that you know you brought that up because it, it that was like one of the biggest things that you know I um that I didn't do and and you know there's you know there like I wouldn't there there's no excuse for it because I I did you know I it's not that I didn't purposely show up because I didn't want to. It was just like that was the time that I felt that I needed to give to my relationship and my family mm-hmm. that, you know, of course, when there's other people that are doing those said things and they want you to be there, mm-hmm. but you're not there, you're going to feel that sort of like that. It's not even disgust or hate. Yeah. But it, it no, they're going to feel like that sadness or that like wanting of you to be there to experience it with them. So you yeah. can like feel that inside joke. And like, whenever they would feel that like with me, they're like, Oh my God, like, we wish Hoffman like was here. We did. So, we like, genuinely did. You, yeah, know, you know, for like and a then, lot of the the, mm-hmm. the shenanigans. And then for me, because like on the t- on the couple of times that I was there partaking in said shenanigans, <laughs> they know how stupid I can get. Yeah. <laughs> and it just adds to the funniness. And, mm-hmm. and it was that he was such a hard worker that we just wanted him. Like I remember Angel <laughs> was always like, "Just take a load off. Like, come on, All you know." The time, <laughs> like you know, we just wanted Angel was like my literal guardian angel when it came yeah, to like, the social stuff. Yeah. We you know we always just you know the minute Hoffman walked in, it was like get him a beer like. If we were drinking, like, just because it was, like, we want him to get right in on the fun, you know? Because it's, like, we know that, like, if he's there, it's because he, like, literally made the time out of his family, his work, his coaching, Mm -hmm. working at, you know, doing work for the school, volunteering, having a relationship. Like, those, all those things stacked up, Mm -hmm. yet he was the president of our fraternity, you know, doing all the other work that took that. So it was like when he finally came to the house, you could say, the little 500-square-foot house that we hung out in, mm-hmm. that that was like the time and those are like the memories we have of, you know, of retreat, of us having Absolutely. Hoffman cashed on a couch just enjoying himself Absolutely. as everyone else is outside <laughs> in the Absolutely. pool. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, though, like and, and it sucks that... You know, it happened, like, less times than it did more times. But, like, mm-hmm. the times that it did happen, oh, like, I was, 
every single thing that I was stressed or worried about would always go out the door, you know, and it and it is it always made me long for more, but I was never able to show that because of something that was already on the agenda the next day, the next hour, the next minute. So I never like even though I was sad about it, like I could never afford to be truly sad about yeah. it because there was always somebody always begging for you know the attention next and then that would get truly mad at me rather than you know these guys like yeah kind of you know just being sad and like well because we'd wake up the next day and it's just uh what's next you know what do we right. gotta accomplish so exactly. you know it's the same thing but at the same time like we knew the opportunities we we're gonna see you it wasn't like an anger right. yeah, of, exactly you know our our disappointment was not long lasting it was it was just like i kind of was talking was here we and went, then, you know let's move on you know because in the end of the day we know like look like like you said we have experiences and we can bring up the memories of the times we were doing that or the times after meetings when we'd go eat you know Absolutely. or walking to get a donut cuz that's what you wanted to get you know after all meeting all the fucking time you know what i mean like all those also count you know they do and that's you know that's the importance of it mm. yeah no i never tried yeah no uh what I was going to say was that it's like he missed out on a lot also, but he also had to do put in all that work so yeah. that you guys were in that position where you yeah. could do that. And we reckon, we reckon, yeah, I think no, we exactly. recognized it, you know, we, we just, you, you, we wanted him to see the fruits of his labors. Yeah. You know that's what I, mean? what I was going to say. Yeah. Cause you recognized it by like when he would be there, you would show your support for him. Mm-hmm. But, like, when he wasn't there, you were wanting him to be there, but you yeah. knew that he couldn't be there because he had something very important to do. Yeah. yeah. I felt yeah. it's spring 19. It's okay. yeah. I, I feel like I over... No, you over had... We, it was, like, fun when it was, like, you would see, like, at the beginning of the semester, too, you were more... Because once Cap kind of picked up, you kind of definitely focused a lot a of... Bit, yeah. You know, But even at the beginning, it was just random when we would do the text, like, who wants to kick it? And then we'd pull up... And Hoffman's just there, and we're, like, <laughs> doing double takes. Like, yeah, they're like, wait, what the fuck, Hoffman's here? Yeah, like, so. yeah, guys, I got no responsibilities anymore. <laughs> yeah. Let's get, like, even, like, the, the, the flag football day. Oh. Or, or the two-hour yeah. touch day. We, we spent hours at this football field just playing, and then we went back to Angel and Anthony. Just got it was that, it, yeah, we just randomly, like, we're just, like, let's go play. I was, like, let's go play on the Laverne football field. Because mm-hmm. it was, That's like, after right. meeting. Mm-hmm. So everyone went, got home, got gloves, like, changed. We were kicking, nine. we were yeah. kicking soccer balls, and so I have a video of Eric, DJ mm-hmm. Eric M, kicking a soccer ball in full dress clothes because he was working at the campus center. The, another, <laughs> but like <laughs> 20, 30 yards, like thirty yard bomb, just Damn. eats it with full dress That's shoes bad. on. That's sick. But yeah, that was like that was one of the days, and we were just all out there playing like two and touch football on the Laverne field because. Burns like that. You can just walk on the field. You can just walk on the field. Yeah. So, did you break Brad's uh, finger there? No. So, um, story. uh, So, my friend Bradley came and visited me this semester before I rushed. I lived in. I lived in a very nice home in an upscale house in Claremont, but okay. I lived in what was like the maid's quarters, if that's what it would have oh, been. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like on, like attached onto the garage by the laundry room type thing, yeah, but I rented sure. out a room there. Oh, sick. So I lived in this house. So I was really bored during the week and no one, like none of my, like my, this was after my friends obviously had moved. And uh, so it was my sure, first semester, sure. sophomore year. So I was just alone in this house. So my friend Brad came and we were really into, we played soccer like every weekend. Yeah. So he drove out to this park in Claremont. We're just practicing, 
and I just kicked a ball. It hit Brad's, like, kicked him pretty, like, close. Yeah. Brad broke his finger, and to this day, like, he's, like, bitches about going to Claremont <laughs> Wait, and breaking really? his oh finger. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Yeah. That's tough. They have some, my friends, their their perception of Laverne, I think Daniel's realizing, that you know, the people are pretty funny and cool. Absolutely. But initially, my friends just shit on the place. And, like, yeah, when I, I was, like, <laughs> I mean, I do, too. We all shit on the place. But, like, but, yeah. but it's, like, this is my shit, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> um, I can't but shit on I just yeah, remember. I'm not going to lie. When I, when I was working at that school down the road right there, yeah. and I was, like, yeah, I'm going to. Because I was like, yeah, I'm going to go visit my friend in Laverne. One of the teachers was like, why the fuck are you going to Laverne? <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell is out there? People like, have no right, idea. Right. Yeah, don't worry. There's a whole ass university. It's just the city itself, basically. <laughs> um, which is also just 100 square feet, too. Um, <laughs> Dude, you blink, you miss it. I'm yeah, I know. I just got to say, too, like, goaded, like, one, I took, I don't know if we went there, House of Wings. Yeah, I pr- I'm pretty sure I met you out oh. there one time after one of your meetings. There was a bunch of dudes. Yeah. There. <laughs> you were watching sounds, football, I think. Sounds yeah, about right. I just pulled up. I don't remember I don't remember why I went out there, but I remember like I pulled up one time. I don't know. Maybe it was cuz Maybe it was because at that point it was like I was like, oh, Fullerton's not that far from the Vern. It, it's, <laughs> it's just up Pomona. It's just a it kind of is. Though. It's like another ten, fifteen minutes. <laughs> it really is. It's that far. Yeah, that's yeah, bad. I, yeah, I don't remember what I was. No, I don't remember what I was. Doing. I don't know, dude. But I just House know of House of Wings is just like I took Brad there too. We went in. He was like, it was pretty. Like he was like, it was pretty dank because it's not that. Goated, yeah. But for us, like, that, so, like, that that's like, where it was at, is, like, after meeting, I was always the proponent of being, like, especially during football season, words. I was always, like, house of wings, house of wings. Yeah. And that's where, like, these mob mentalities of, like, yeah, after nice. Sunday, there could have been four of us going to house of wings or like 15, 15 of us. Yeah, just four of it, like, and you There's never fucking really, knew which one it was yeah. going to be. Yeah. But it was always they, in between those numbers. I just remember they would walk in and, like, they were like, oh, shit, good money's coming in, but oh, then they'd be pressed. I remember, I remember, it was before I was at Fullerton. That's mm. why I was uh, there. Because yeah. you were like, yo, come meet some of the guys. I think so, yeah. Nice. See? Yeah, I yeah, know. But, uh, I mean, we were literally doing what we would have done. Just watch yeah, football no, we and eat wings. Watch football. Yeah. yeah, I was going to watch Dude, football. House of Wings is absolutely goaded. I mean, like, in, in Laverne, it, it's funny because, like, all these other schools, especially after consulting some of them, all these mm. other schools have, like, club like actual like bar clubs like in their yeah like towns like which which mm-hmm. what makes it like quote unquote a college town especially like Miami yeah. University you know Laverne didn't really have that mm-hmm. we had we have House of Wings and Lords so we made it as much as we possibly fucking could yeah know, and and we did but we did House of Wings and Lords will always go down but house house a little bit more um a little bit more than than Lords in terms of like the food yeah so. I want to kind of change the subject now and move more into, like, your studies in history because, as Armand, you have said that there's not that many history majors at Laverne, so you guys have gotten more of, like, a... I feel like you got more of an education with your... Because your classes were pretty small, right? I'm pretty sure I remember you saying that your classes were very small. Like, our upper division courses, for sure, like, had six people. I was going to say, what was your smallest class that you had? Four. Four? I think that was mine, too. Yeah. I, Four or five. In, in my major, as a marketing major at Cal State Fullerton, one of the biggest business schools in America, probably, um, my smallest class is 45. Yeah. That's insane. I think that's one of our biggest classes. That's probably, like, one of our, like, your my bio biggest classes, classes maybe yeah, 45. Right. My biggest class was my, uh, 
Well, I have a, I'm taking a bio class this semester because I have to, and that has 90 people in it. But my biggest class I ever took was this econ class I took two semesters ago, and it was like 180. That's disgusting. And we were in this big lecture, lecture hall, hall yeah. and it was... And I didn't learn anything because I was sitting in the back with my friends. <laughs> but, um... It's like extremely goofy movie type shit. Yeah, it was like... Yeah! <laughs> it was like... It's hard to learn in those things. It you is, feel like yeah. you're not even part of a class, really. But... So you were just telling me you had a 52-page thesis paper. Yeah, yeah. What was I it did. on? So the title of the thesis was called... Um, Three Spheres of Influence, Origins of the United States Constitution. I... I specifically... Good wanted, title, right? Yeah. I specifically wanted it to just be the origins of the United States Constitution. I like mm-hmm. that. But uh, when, like, I would go into, like, with my, um, with my, like, advisor... Who my was your reader? It was, like, Gelm. But okay. we did it a different way than you guys, because, like, Brantley kind of switched the system with history majors. I didn't have Brantley. You had, um, um, what's his name? Jenkins, yeah? Yeah, I know. But, like, Brantley was a part of, like, the switch oh. that they did with, like, the whole reader stuff. Because before, it was just, like... One professor would just... Oh, the advisor? Yeah, yeah. One advisor would just read it. That's it. Like, mm. we didn't have any readers. It literally changed, like, right after I went in. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to keep it out of the origins of the Constitution because, like, I love that. I was mm-hmm. like, the origins of the Constitution. Boom. But, uh, do, like, my, my advisor was like, well, it doesn't really give us, like, much. So, like, why don't yeah. you, like, put more into it? Like, put it mm-hmm. into, like, where you're going to separate your body. So I was like, okay, well... I only wrote about three spheres of influence because I didn't have time to write about more. Yeah. So I was just like, I'll just do like three spheres, but like really have like a lot more. But yeah, so Mm -hmm. basically I wrote about um, every single, not every single, but like a lot of key pieces of history um, that the founding fathers took and they molded it into the United States Constitution. So basically what I said was the United States Constitution is highly regarded as this, like, groundbreaking, you know, original, innovative document that sets precedent for the free world. Mm-hmm. Basically, what I said was, like, okay, not really. The Founding Fathers were almost just, like, political chefs in terms of they took, you know, pieces from different time periods, from mm-hmm. different societies, and they molded it and framed it into what we know now as the Constitution. Yeah. And then I... So, basically, what I had to do, you know, was more than just... Because, basically, like... Uh, a C paper or like how like Dr. Gelm and I kind of like thought it out was like a mm-hmm. C paper and a B paper. What it's going to do is basically just say, just randomly say, okay, I think the Magna Carta yeah. and me saying, I think the Magna Carta had some influence. So I'm going to write about that and say why mm-hmm. that would have got me a B or C. Yeah. But what I did was like, I not only chose like say like the Magna Carta, but I also found texts like first person account texts of like why like why James Madison and why the con um you know the Constitutional Convention added the things that they did mm-hmm. um and they actually referenced those said things so like when I was like okay they use the Magna Carta no not only did they use the Magna Carta but like I found a text of like James Madison saying we drew upon the Magna Carta to fit this oh, part really? of the Constitution yeah and uh, and. You know, I don't want to say it was easy because it, it it's hard like trying to figure out these documents because yeah. like the easy ones to find are the ones in the Federalist Papers because yeah. really like when the when the Constitution came out, it was a, it was one of the shortest fucking pieces of law that was ever written, mm-hmm. and when when like society looked at it, they're like, 
we don't understand this. Like, what does this really say? Mm-hmm. So that was when Madison, Hamilton, and Jay, and John Jay wrote the Federalist Papers to, to help society understand mm-hmm. what the Constitution they, was actually aiming to do. And then the, the thing is, the Federalist... Sorry, I don't want to... No, go ahead. But, like, you know, coming as another outside, the, the yeah. issue is the Federalist Paper... Not the issue, but what the Federalist Papers did is took the vagueness of right. the words written, which implied power to the paper because the limitation of words and language they use Mm -hmm. the language and rhetoric they used is so powerful that it's still being questioned today Mm -hmm. the federalist papers inherently uh were the writers and the main contributors expressing in detail like way more detail than those words could even yeah Mm -hmm. that that what they thought they meant but even in those papers, and then there's dissenters like TJ, Thomas right. Jefferson, yep. who are like, this needs to be written every 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, like, all of this exists prevalent to, like, why these Federalist Papers right. are the easiest to access because they were the most commonly distributed because they were meant to teach mm-hmm. the, exactly. the educated land. See, I, whenever, not, this is just a fucking inner or yeah. side thing. Yeah. Whenever I was a kid and I heard Federalist Papers, it always just reminded me of the Separatists, so I always thought it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? But, yeah, I was... No, I, but, so I, so not only did, like, so when I focused on that, I would say, you know, because I knew that, you know, the Greek and Rome, you know, the Greek Empire and, you know, the Roman Empire had influence on them, so, mm-hmm. like, what I would do is, like, you know, not only look at the Federalist Papers, which obviously has great text in it but like you know for me it wasn't it didn't do enough so like Mm -hmm. i went and i got oh my god i think i went to um i had to go to ucla and usc's library to uh get official like um minutes from the constitutional convention like meetings oh really and i would just and i would check the books out and like when i was working at that middle school from like six o'clock to eight thirty I mean, those middle schoolers were fucking tired. They didn't really do anything in the morning. So, I'd, mm. like, you know, I watched them, of course, but, like, mm-hmm. they'd fucking sleep. So, like, what I would do is, like, I would just bring all of, like, my minutes from, mm-hmm. like, the fucking, you know, 1789, 1787 That's meetings crazy. and just plow through them and just, like, look and research and, like, index and see if and I could find any. you have to be any. able to understand that English because that English yeah. is different. Yeah. And, um, different. and so, you know, figuring – so going back into those books – trying to find key pieces of, like, what they thought about. And, like, sometimes, like, my thesis of, like, like, you know, I thought that they used, you know, like, this one piece from, like, this one English author about, like, a, about, like, a dystopian society. Mm. You know, I thought that they used that to, to influence it. But it turns out that they used it, they used that text to not influence the Constitution. Like, they talked about uh, it, and they were like, yeah, we're not, because of, like, because of James Harrington, mm-hmm. we are not in Oceania. Like, we are not going to be putting this in, like, the Constitution. Mm-hmm. In the Constitution. And, like, that, that's what, like, John Adams said. So, um, like, finding stuff where I thought, like, that it did influence, and sometimes, like, it didn't work out, and, like, it actually didn't influence, mm-hmm. it also made me feel good, too, because yeah. I was like, well, shit, like, my... My hypothesis, my theory was like debunked. It's almost like the history version of the scientific method. Yeah, you know, it's um, what was that fan- like the the class that we had to take in order to get to your thesis? Um, um that Marcus taught approaches to history. approaches to history, which is basically like the scientific method of like mm-hmm. of writing your thesis for history. But yeah, so like it was always so fun. It it was so fun to me. You know, it, it's fun reading texts about influential figures mm-hmm. and, and like saying like what they did. But to me, it's even more fun about 
reading the actual like things that they said yeah the things that they wrote which is like why i take so much you know entertainment and fun reading the federalist papers even the board like obviously everybody knows federalist 51 because james madison specifically quotes montesquieu in separation of powers like, like that's one of the most famous ones there but, mm-hmm. like i love reading the random ones the ones that have like barely anything to do with the constitution that was mm-hmm. like you know a fucking paragraph it's long, kind of, it's know? kind of like listening to a podcast of someone that has something but instead they didn't have podcasts back then so you're reading what they were thinking because a yeah, podcast exactly. is basically what people are thinking yeah but you're basically just reading what they were thinking and how they got to that certain situation exactly and like the way they kept i'm i am so like pleasantly surprised about the way that they kept minutes back then mm. you know because i and like and i think to my time as a fidel you know like keeping minutes you know <laughs> or, or fine time as a greek you're like and you got to keep these minutes so like yeah. it was it was also really cool seeing them use robert's rules of order really like an establishing like order of a meeting mm-hmm. they were using it and i was like that's fucking insane you know like yeah. actually just like reading through yeah. like, genuine minutes and like and actually finding those texts was like was really fun so yeah. every single thing basically culminated i wrote upon three main ones um like i said I, it, it's been almost three years now because I, I written that i was i wrote that as president so back in 2018 mm-hmm. so i was only a junior when i wrote my senior thesis which was also really cool mm-hmm. sucked that i did it during my time as a president but um but you know yeah. beneficial nonetheless because i had a kick-ass scene um spring 19 mm-hmm. but um it was like a it was a it was i wrote about the greek and roman empire and like every single thing that was in that and then mm-hmm. i wrote about specific documents e.g magna carta um some other documents that kind of like came up and then um specific authors in their own right so kind of mm-hmm. like dividing it between society specific documents and then specific influential figures throughout history okay. those those three spheres of influence that the founders used to like um write the constitution and basically okay. saying that they're political chefs in a way of knowing which ingredients to put in which ingredients to keep out how much of which ingredient to keep in mm-hmm. and how vague we needed to be in order for this to be you know able to to transcend on. history yeah. and to you know to, yeah and to be able to, tra- to transcend history and then also writing a little bit on um, the Bill of Rights, because there were dissenters, like, you know, mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson, who needed those Bill of Rights, and basically what the Bill of Rights acted to do was, like, you know, the whole, we need to change this within, like, you know, every 20 years, mm-hmm. that's what, that was kind of set out to do in, in terms of, like, okay, well, if we need to add something in terms of, like, changing something, mm-hmm. because really, yeah. adding stuff is also changing. Well, that, and yeah. they also never saw an amendment being a way to uh trans transition a previous aspect of the constitution right like to where an amendment can be added and then an amendment can be utilized to strike something down or to define something clearly exactly and that's how we've gotten like um it's the 17th amendment is uh the uh and i'm gonna butcher myself Regardless, like there was a there was one that literally outlined slavery, and then if you you know then you have the D, um, the illegal uh, the amendment which illegal thirteenth uh, and thirteenth and fifteenth. There you go. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that. There's the power to it. I think the seventeenth is uh, women's. That's nineteen. Women's suffrage. Nineteenth is women's What's suffrage. Seventeen then. I feel like I just read about it. Um, All right, yeah. continue though. Sorry. Yeah, so yeah, so thirteen, but just to, just to continue on this, thirteen mm-hmm. out, outlawed slavery mm-hmm. in the states. The fourteenth granted. Um, 
Oh, it's it the Senators not... is the Amendment 17. Oh, that's right, yeah. The term limits? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the 14th granted citizenship and all civil rights <laughs> to, um, like, non, like persons like, that are, like, of, like, non-white descent. So that was mm-hmm. more than just African-Americans. That was, um... A lot of Native. people who, yeah, Native Americans, African Americans, people who were slaves, basically gave like civil rights to those people. And then the Fifteenth Amendment gave African Americans the right to vote, I believe. If I'm no, you want to look that up real quick? Which one? The Fifteenth Amendment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um. Race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Yes. Mm. So gave slaves the right to vote, but uh, but yeah, so it was. So it was really cool to, you know, say that the Bill of Rights was, you know, a way of being able to, you know, appease the anti-federalists because it was a way of changing the Constitution without it making it seem like you got to change the whole document. Mm-hmm. Because, like with women's suffrage, you know, it literally changed the Constitution by allowing women to vote without it looking like that, it looked like they just kind of added it. They're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, let's just add women's suffrage. But mm-hmm. in reality, it changed the course of history, allowing women in the United States to vote. Yeah. So, um, yeah, also talking about that and also talking about the, you know, that sphere of influence in terms of like how we needed that in order to like fully ratify. Because like, mm-hmm. yeah, because technically it was, um, and it's been a long time since I was a history major, obviously, but like mm-hmm. it was, I think, 1789 when it was a fi- like first ratified. Mm-hmm. Um, the fifteenth? No, no, no. the The Constitution itself. It was seventeen eighty nine. Oh, yeah, so it was seventeen eighty nine when the Constitution was, was first ratified. But it was, I think, until seventeen ninety five, seventeen ninety one, when it was fully ratified by all thirteen states. Okay. Um, which was after they introduced the Bill of Rights. Okay. So eighty nine was like the first time they introduced it. Ninety one was when all states ratified. But yeah, so that was that was my thesis. It was basically arguing that the constitution wasn't original mm-hmm. it were it was it was made up of bits and pieces from um positive democratic influences that kind of happened throughout history well i think you're gonna okay well, do you want to hear my thesis actually because i think you're actually gonna it's gonna your your elements could fit yeah. into mine really i feel like we talked about it a little bit before but like so, not to the extent that we yeah, always wanted so to. i titled it um, pseudo-human nature, and uh, the subti- subtitle is A Theoretical Analysis of Human Society. That's right. Um, and I initially had it, A Historical Analysis, of, or A Theoretical Analysis of Human History, but I felt as though as I was evolving and utilizing more of my social theory, Yeah. because um, it's, it's at root a historical backing, and right. I'll get to that, but... Um, it's purely theoretical, and so going into it, yeah, for yeah. me, I had Jenkins. I took, I looked at it strategically at who were the advisors for of the course. next for the next three semesters. So I did my thesis my second semester junior year with Jenkins. That's literally why I did it with Gelm because he was gonna be the only one that was an actual like right somewhat history teacher. Right. Yeah. And so I would. It was either uh, like I could have gotten uh, Needleman at the. A, no, I couldn't have. It would have been a weird rotation. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to do this. Um, and I want to do it now. Because I felt really confident in what I had an idea of. Yes. That I had so much to write that this was the thing. 
So I went to Jenkins uh, early. I once I got him as once I knew he was the professor. I talked to him and I said, "Hey, I want to do this. Would you be interested in being my reader already?" He said, "Yeah." So I got cranking on the idea that summer, knowing because I saw how much you were working in the library at the archives and shit. Oh my god! Yeah, I would walk up. He'd be reading these giant books, Mm -hmm. and so I just remembered that, and I remembered mine isn't going to be the same. But I knew I had to start looking into more theories and more into it right. if I really wanted to try to analyze something that was really gnawing at me. Right. Um, and my, what was gnawing at me was the just similarities in human society that were really just called human nature. And I yeah. was really drawn back by human nature and like how it was defined in philosophy and political theory philosophy. Yeah. Mainly in like how it's implemented in the political life yeah. and the socialized life. And I just started to get really like drawn into that. Did you study so, comp when you were... Uh, comp? Em- Emmanuel... Emmanuel Kant. Kant. Yes, Emmanuel Kant. Kant. My, my, my professor when I, was, so, when I was taking social, he would yeah. always say comp because he could never say... Who was it? I was fucking... Um, Glenn Goodwin? Yes. That's my guy, bro. That's dude, like probably he, big, one of my like, biggest influences. When I would, when I would hear him say, because he ne- this dude never had a PowerPoint. It was just straight... Oh, he's phone. the best. <laughs> he, walks up to the, he walks in the class with some notes like this, puts it on the... like a, a podium he has desk. A, no, but he brings like his own podium, podium. too. He... Like, if it's not in there, he brings it. He will bring that shit in. He pulls out his notes. He pulls out his notes. And then he'll get to class a few minutes early. Write five words on the board. Mm-hmm. That's the outline of what you're gonna get. That's and what you're learning. And he doesn't tell you when we get there. You have to be listening, and then that tells you how far you in are in the lecture, kind of. Mm-hmm. But um, so and you, just talks to you. That's and it. You can ask questions. And the thing is, people are scared to ask him questions because he's so fucking smart. So <laughs> in our so just intro to Soch, to I took him, and so like you're saying, Kant. I yeah. took him, and this is a he was a big influence. I never knew what Soch theory was, and I never heard of these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never knew who Emil Durkheim was, but I remember listening to my he intro Soch class, and I remember he yeah he loves Durkheim, and I remember listening and it was being explained, and it started to challenge the ways I looked at history, and I was like, really starting to get in groove with the idea of norms and mores, and when he was talking about toadism and tribals. Mm-hmm. Uh, tribal cultures and was it was fascinating me mm-hmm. and I started to think about it as in the life we live today and then I took his social theory class that semester because that was the first time it was offered in the rotation because he only teaches it like once every two years or one and a half years mm-hmm. and I just kept learning and it was just building in and so I would call that's where I came to this thing of eventually the word or the whole idea became the concept of we live in a pseudo-human nature, and I'm going to explain yeah. what that is. And it's this oh, my yeah. own word, my own um, prescription to what we believe Trading is these norms. So I Absolutely. said, uh, I'm getting like shaky, bro. It's been a while since I've done this. The pseudo-human nature questions the potential we sense. We talked about this two weeks ago. I know, but now, <laughs> but yeah, but Hoffman asked me, you know, it's the, you know. I know I just, but right, the, the pseudo-human nature questions the potential sense of human commonality historically progressed through laws and social norms. Research, this is my own note on my own thing, if people ask me. I've been trying to work on this. 
Research was conducted utilizing interdisciplinary theory and research methods pertaining to history, political theory, sociological theory, and philosophy. Analysis utilizes particular epistemology to analyze historical facts to identify norms that are persistent within ancient societies that prove to be consistent in modernity. Virtues and norms are identified and argued, showing that humanity has used socialization to create an inherent common human nature, which is misidentified commonly. Analysis goes further than laws and governance, but into the social life, delving into philosophy written during the case societies. In addition to unique arguments and thoughts that which are presented, they... There is an expansion upon the term the pseudo-human nature. The pseudo-human nature is a historical analysis itself, combining a choice normalization and socialization, uh, socialization that is theoretically prevalent within humans. So that's like that's the sick. so when then so that sounds like a bunch of bullshit, right? So I like right like <laughs> it does, right? So I just start off talking about what society, like, at this abstract level is. Yeah. And then introducing philosophy, like, literally the first few sentences, philosophers, talking about quintessential society. And then I'm like, this continuing questioning is just norms, right? And then it's implemented into governance, which uniquely makes society. Right. And how we act. Right. So I begin to delve into these ideas of Holy what shit. is... What exactly are these norms and how did they start? So I started off in, I say, well, we have to go to the ancient world. And I start off, human existence on earth is relatively brief. Brief, which with the first first artifacts being found over 200,000 years ago. But the importance of the human race comes from the socialization and uh, structures that have aggregated as people have come together. So then I start in Mesopotamia and explain the whole Mesopotamian society. I rose into an agricultural, talking about the society. I ta- you, and I explained this. was this. Armand when he wrote the paper. <laughs> Let me see. That's bad, the big brain. Uh, big. But like, I, and I like was... Like the Bushido? Like, like the so, no, the Code of Hammurabi. Oh, that's... And that's the first. And then I, the, before, that, before that is the Ur-Nama, which yes, is just unidentifiable. So I went through the Code of Hammurabi, and that was the point of that, is getting, explaining. And then my explanation for why I'm using history as an analysis is using the epistemology of uh, Verstein, yes. which is what Mark, uh, Max Weber and Karl Marx used to analyze the societies of England. They explained the historical progression to which they came to that point, yeah. such that you can put yourself and actually analyze it without being biased, you know what I mean, if you put all that historical research in. Oh so I gave God. the whole history of the society to explain the Code of Hammurabi. Then I introduce explaining i also bring in religion how that's important to some aspect so eventually i leave the code of hammurabi for a minute talk yeah. about verstein explain you know right do all this or that's all integrated yeah, and i get to religion yeah. so i explain mesopotamian society get to religion and i explain how religion is creates this sacredness and there's right. and I, I know way more about religion than i did before and i wish i could add more i was gonna say how the hell is this only 32 pages that's what i'm saying because it was too much research Got to it, explain yeah. all these because de- I have so then Same. I'm talking about how religious phenomena works with Durkheim. Yep. So then I go back to different ancient religions and I'm explaining how in the Code of Hammurabi um, there's a there's a law that's a religious that literally says if uh, if I were to steal from you right I basically have to pay back five times that amount. Right. Okay. Then in the Bible, in a certain line, which also is in the Hebrew text coming from the ancient times of the Torah, of course. 
it's the same verbiage and it says the almost same thing. So I'm explaining there that first off, there was this, this is not exactly the argument, but these are the points. That first off, you could see there was a societal governance made, which established a norm. Eventually, that norm kept going through that when a religious power or organized structure was starting to create itself and transcend societies, it added that something. So that's one proof that these ancient ways have come there. So now we're, and then I go, okay, so since we've talked about the religious importance, right, you also have to look at societies at a... um, establishing different way or so i go into a lot about religion yeah. talking about babylon egyptian religions explaining how they also relate to certain things about nature yeah. such that that's a part of applying sacredness to something thus those become normalized things of importance so water was important to human progression it was protected it needed to be protected thus right. gods were made into water because it right. was a sacred thing very simple. That was common across all these societies. What philosopher did you use to explain? So nature? that's all Durkheim. You can do all that with. It's um, animism and naturism. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then I keep going talking about Hammurabi's. So then I get explained like religions and the necessity of life. Yep. And I also explain that God acts as that way for a lot of societies. Right. But in actuality, it's just the applied power to it. Sorry, there's a lot to get into this. So I get into explaining. Oh, yeah, I love it. The um, essentially how laws come from these norms and we progress them and protect them. And I explain the religion thing and explain how that's all important. Talking about how these two things are coming from years apart, but are collectively building into us. And why this is important is these examples show that there's like, there's an aggregation of societal norms amongst broader groups of people in the ancient world that then progress. Right. So I start using Nietzsche to analyze the way in which like so societal structures and political institu- structures or institutions have limited individualism, right? Yeah. We talk about a slave morality and that man must become calculable, regular, ne- uh, necessary, and even an image of himself. And then he has to uh, liberate design from the morality of custom, autonomous, and supernormal, right? So, but even in all those words... Um, the, the man was trying to go back to individualism. And I argue, though, that the individualism is lost because of early socialization, such that religion itself was an institution of the same norms, just progressed on. So I keep making that argument of like Holy. just going through different philosophers, Durkheim, yeah. Nietzsche. Then I get into another thing, um, and I start talking about Western philosophy. And I start talking about how that became, because eventually that becomes a global power. And I say, where we really have to go is where it starts, ancient Greece, right? Analyzing how even in um, the ways that Aristotle's talking, yeah. there's comparisons to um, to uh, Master Kong, what's his name? Uh, it's the very famous Chinese philosopher. Confucius. Confucius. That some of the same things about society... Confucius basically says that to each their own has their own purpose right. in the like as their own roles. Yeah, that's what Aristotle says when he's talking about society in the beginning of the of politics. True, he's talking about the role of the husband, the wife, the people. He's def- in their world though. They're saying that the philosophers have dis- decided the what's the fate. Therefore, if the best fitter to lead, you know that's the argument. Yeah. So we started to implement even things like that the way that the household. Aristotle defines the modern household. Which he had even been defined before him, and then he drew he, it from And he's else. just bringing it out and outlining it. Thus, when we got that, it became a basis of it. 
And then you talk about like the idea of the polis growing and that the that these different compounding cities start to collide. And thus, that's where you're getting archetypal nationalistic growth, even at these ancient levels. And the feuds are even instigating. Yeah, Yeah. the feuds themselves are instigating what I came to say fear, too. And then that's a lot of fear becomes propaganda, which which becomes hate. And that's a huge part of this. Um, Go into a lot about the way in which Aristotle defines society and then how that characterized further into the policies, creating even the patriarchy and the established values of family. And that that follows on. And as Western society progressed, it just builds and builds and builds. And I outlined these policies, the forms of government that are used in that are outlined in ancient Greece that are still the core foundations of what we're governing today. And that the idea that, but like even then the norms that we can't think outside of that because it's becoming part of, as they would have said, like man is political, a zone politicon. It's, it's in your nature. It's not, it's part of the socialized way. And I would even say now, like on my own research that since birth, a baby is socialized off interactions and facial expressions, even that they they don't know something's funny until um, this is all it's this Henry Bourgeois uh, something he's a philosopher mm-hmm. who out talked about humor and he basically it's Boudreau, isn't it? that I don't think it might be is it he's a f- French philosopher yeah. who outlined what humor is and he explained that children don't even know what's funny because humor itself is a socialized thing. Humor is only is funny built upon a social construct that and it, someone has created. Right, and that—that's what I'm, and that's my ultimate argument is that I'm trying to say that we don't even realize we're living in it, and we call it human nature. Just whatever, yeah. We believe that it to be this natural life. part of living, yeah. but it's these ancient norms that were defined thousands of years ago, and we're lackluster at defi- understanding that, and we need to be able to theoretically understand that that's still compounding. So if we want to change them, we really have to be able to recognize the history at which. And that's what I'm trying to explain. That, And then I even go further to explain that there's even a way in which change happens. Yeah. That there's, if, if the um, actors understand three compounds, time, history, and, um, oh, shoot. It's, they have to understand the time, history, and like whatever the importance of the now like to say that they okay. sound all the same but they're not it's like uh i'm not i'm fucking up my own thing right now it's okay but essentially like you have to understand the history of what you're fighting for change right you have to understand the context of the now and the normative structures if you're lackluster in one of those three the change is not going to happen at all or will minimally grow yeah. those the actors in those times need to be able to recognize those things to be able to see change such that when we're recognizing norms and a norm that's been challenged, that's one that's such as slavery, right? It's becoming eradicated in our modernity. But even in the civil rights movement in the United States, we saw that. That was a huge ethical thing that was normalized right. for hundreds of years and change happened such that Martin Luther King, being a head actor in the civil rights movement, understand the historical context of what was happening. He understood that time was now, and he also, this is it, how to enact the change. He understood that by utilizing violence would not work, but to use rhetoric, equality, and use compassion 
actually, yeah. would motivate people. And he understood all three of those elements. And that's thus why something that was a norm was able to be challenged and eradicated. And there's also a common good, which is established through social norms that we believe is just a common good. But that itself is a construct of human thought. And that's kind of where I keep going, talking about how when you like analyzing philosophy too, we philosophy tends to say that everything is singled out into yeah. one time, that everything before it is null and void. Yeah. And I'm saying rather than that, the philosophy, like I quote uh, Nietzsche, Marx, uh, Hobbes, even talking about, because uh, I go into government and why, because that's a huge part of this is the government structures lead to the way in which right. societies lived and le- uh, led. Um, but that these philosophers need to be argued together because under the, hu- the pseudo-human nature argument, their norms and their challenging of the norms, their analysis of human life and the way in which they see it in their period is compounding to how we think of it in the mo- modern times. And it's known, it's kind of, you know, uh, stupid in my opinion that we look at certain philo- you know philosophers and take out their work yeah. all the time or we um we tend to like not utilize them together or not yeah. even utilize different ones that argue against each other because it may you know go against your argument right but in reality they both compounded to the idea of like how we got to today hobbes and locke disagreed they were both um liberals they were both part of liberalism that movement yeah if you want to say that they taught they they, they talked to eradicate the same thing to yes. go against the tyrant just de- they just deferred in the ways after right. the tyrant was right but if you and then if you really look at it and why they're taught together but they're taught that you're almost taught that they're against each other exactly. but they're together exactly. because you know why the social contract was definitively defined by the utilitarians of the time right and that social contract is so prevalent into everything when you analyze it in sociologically, I feel, looking at that. And when you realize Locke's version of governance inherently also has the application of a social contract because, we, they, because both of those things were implemented just simultaneously together, fused in, normalized together that they become one thought. Liberalism, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there's ways in which we need to argue philosophy in the ways we think, and and then I go in to say that realistically, cultures themselves are unique and privileged, like their own right, yeah, and that no, um, and Durkheim explains it best with religion. And what I'm saying is, peoples themselves, humanity itself, there's unique cultures, but no culture is better than the other. No culture has should have unique rights over the other, because in the end. It all comes down to this, the sacredness which we need to apply is the human species. And I even go further to say, if in the world we live in now, we don't even need to worry about what human nature was. We need to focus on the pseudo-human nature we've created and focus on normalizing that. And that was my argument. It's a theoretical one. So I got to put in my own thing. I talk about Rousseau. Right. Yeah, I mean, I put in Always. a lot of just different, different like, like, analysis history yeah you know i didn't have that much time to get everything and if it's taken me this long to get to even explain like where i have the fact to tell you the humor thing right where that's just a sub point but like i want to like i feel as though where i'm at on this is still the theoretical bulk explaining that 
just as you would read the first hundred, you know, four, you know, forty right. to fifty pages, hundred pages even, is the theoretical explanation. The first of five books. But I was gonna say, yeah, you can make this. Into a yeah, book. that's what I want to do eventually. That's but then explain it, his, you know, history, and that really like why like people don't understand is that you need to study the history and the philosophy simultaneously because that can give a better historical canon. And that's where like archival theory came into yeah. this. You need because, to understand. Because right now we're taking the historical canon from just history and we're not actually analyzing the way in which, and I think philosophy is the analysis of one life, right? Yeah, you could say right. the study of it. Why aren't we, we should be taking in then people's thoughts at a lower level too right. and the way in which people communicate, diaries. And that should be itself not, not philosophy, but part of the ethics of teaching it. And that, right. that the mer- immersion of history and philosophy is how I got to this point, but getting to different you know, theories on yeah, that. Dude. But to feel how like we live in a pseudo-human nature. Sorry if that sounds crazy. No, bro, that's... I tried to explain it as quick as I could. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, it, and it, I have none of my notes. I usually bring all my notes. Like, I've, that's why really? I felt all flustered. Yeah. It was, dude, it was crazy. Like, in the middle of there... I swear to God, like, you were, like, Goodwin, like, being right in front of me again. <laughs> like, when you were talking about, like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you, you quoted one of, like, you quoted a philosopher, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I, I felt like I was, tr- like, back yeah. in, like, that fucking room, dude. But, um, but yeah, no, like, yeah. I, that was so sick. And, like, honestly, like, see, I understood that. And, like, yeah. and I, I feel so happy to be able to, like, understand that, exactly yeah. what you're talking about. But one of the one of the most fun things in a Laverne thesis class oh, is um, the, the the presentation. Mm-hmm. And the oh, I did. I killed mine. See, like, that's I was what I'm saying. The zone yes, yeah. and I killed mine too. Mm-hmm. And because we're very passionate about what we talk about, but not only that, what we talk about is very very in depth yeah. to the to the to the political science major of which we're coupled with the history. Mm. Um, like department is so small that we do our thesis with with social majors and mm. political science majors, um, but it is always so funny, cause and this just seems to transcend every single semester. But each like poli sci major, um, when they go up and they did they do their thesis, even some history majors who don't really go as in depth as they, as they should, mm-hmm. they get fucking reamed by yeah. these Q and A's like yeah. bad, especially if their presentation is like lackluster. Mm. They're getting fucked. Yeah. And, and you you just you just have to sit there and just be like, I'm I'm sorry for, I'm not gonna ask you a question because you're already getting just rated yeah. right now. But it sucks. And uh so that was like the one thing on my mind and honestly it just answered it answered itself throughout. But like when you when you talk about your presentation just like that mm. or like the way like I talked about my yeah. presentation when I was up there you give so much detail and you're so passionate about it and it's so far into history that these poli-sci majors or anybody like they just are, like don't get, like they don't well they will not question you yeah because they're like oh shit like this guy knows they're I got like he, they're like he said he quoted this dude so I believe <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like for other people like they didn't really go like that in depth and yeah. like, they got reamed for it or and like the, the history majors in my group when they went up they talked about stuff that was like 1985 to now oh, and, they, so and I was like you just brought yourself that. in yeah. poli sci shark water like why yeah. would you do that but um but I remember I got one question it was from Jackie Koo yeah. and it was just why didn't you talk about the Roman Empire because they also had influence in there I was yeah. like honestly I had three months 
when I found yeah. out when when I got the okay to do this. So I got mm. right to fucking work. I and I yeah. made sure I was able to give at just as long and just as you know defining of a presentation right. and a paper mm. with what I had in front of me. If I would have wrote it on the Re- the Roman Empire, sure it would have been a great paper, but I would not have gotten in depth as I possibly could with the three influences that I did talk about for that reason. And and he was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And, and then after that, no questions. If yeah. I was in Armand's group and I, and I heard that out of the... Like, I so I got a shit ton of questions. Did you actually? Because so th- I presented... I got the, one. I was like the second or couple, like early in the presentation weeks. Oh, so people are still like all and jumped so, up and ready to ask. Yeah, and so my... Obviously, like when I was still... So like I can... I didn't even get to like... Like I ended up quoting modern philosophy too... Like Charles Wright Mills is an American yep. sociologist. He's the one who went to Russia and dissed like yes, dissed yep, Stalin yep, yep. or dissed the the party. And I talked about even like the Islamic Revolution that that system installed was a religious aristocracy, which ties back into Greek philosophy. You know, like right. the things tying in and like that's what I was saying is when I went up there, I did a Needleman PowerPoint, just put a few fucking words on the back of the <laughs> slides. Yeah. And I made jo- I made jokes during my thing. I made it easy to explain. I outlined where I was going. I outlined what philosophy was important. I outlined, and I told you I'm like I'm not gonna pre- I can't present you with every single example, but I can explain to you why there's history of this in there, and you don't need to see. So I just did examples and I showed them the code of Hammurabi. The the physical that it's a giant like it's twelve a tab. foot tab. Yeah, it's it's, a it's in the Louvre. Actually, yeah. I wanted to go see it, but the day I, I was in Paris, there was actually a a, um, a walkout of the workers, so you they serious? closed out that section. Yeah, the ancient oh history God. section. So that was like my <laughs> luck, but um, that sucks. I basically showed them that, and I said that this is the oldest civil code that exists that we know. Like basically law. And this yeah. is it is law, hundred yeah. percent, and it was written by Hammurabi's team. You know, Hammurabi supposedly it's the code of Hammurabi. And it's completely um, secular. It talks about norms. It talks about punishments. It talks about the eye for the eye. It's all those basic principles. This is the ancient of the ancient. And then I went, boom, this is on there. Read the quote, and I put, boom, threw on the Bible. And I said, this text that you all may, some of you may be familiar with, was written, you know, a thousand years later, uh, a few hundred, you know, a couple hundred, you know, 500 miles away. And it says the same thing. So you tell, and I explained that, and I wow. read it, and I asked, and I even asked, I was like, do you, do you, like, do you guys, would you guys agree that the verbiage is similar? Because it, it literally sounds exactly the same. Yeah. I can't, I mean, we've tried to read it before on here, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, here I have it. If anyone be on a journey and entrust silver, gold, precious stones, or any movable property to another and wish to recover it from him, if the latter do not bring all of the property to the appointed place, but appropriated to his own use, then shall this man, who did not bring the property to hand it over, be convicted, and he shall pay fivefold for all that be entrusted to him. I remember reading that in there. You found it? No, I read that in there. Yeah, yeah. so then that. this is in Leviticus 6, 2 through 5. <laughs> when a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord and deceives his companion in regard to a deposit or a security entrusted to him or through robbery, or if he has extorted from his companion... Or has found what was lost and lied about it and swore falsely, so that he sins in regard to any of those things a man may do, then it shall be 
when he sins and becomes guilty, that he shall restore what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion or the deposit which was entrusted to him or the lost thing which he found or anything about which he shall make full restitution for it and add one-fifth more. He shall give it to whom... Give it to one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. So when you look at that, it's the same shit just jumbled around, added religious stuff. And more words. Yeah. And more, you know, it, but even the way it's paused out and written, it says, like, if the, the latter do not bring all of the property to the appointed place, Fuck. he shall give it to whom Good it belongs shit, to on the day buddy. he presents his guilt yeah. offering. It's, it's the same things. And, you know... Um, that these, you know, another direct example between the Code of Hammurabi and the Old Testament is on breaking and entering of a private home of a citizen. Yeah. Hammurabi's code states, if anyone breaks a hole into a house, break in to steal, he shall be put to death before the hole and be buried. Right. The Bible in Exodus 22.2, if a thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, will be no blood guiltiness on his account. So essentially, if you're caught breaking into the home, right in the, like, on site, right. you're dead, you, you can kill them, the and be dead right. buried. It's not guilty. And then in, in the Bible, it literally says if someone does that, there's no, yeah, there's no blood guilt. So it's like there's direct comparisons between the Code of Hammurabi and the scripture from the Bible, which was, you know, and I said, which was given to Moses directly from God according to scripture. He has, and I said, has a striking similarity. The texts are not the exact same text, but inherently look to answer the same issue. They see and seek to reenact uh, re uh, restitution for acts that society deems to be unacceptable. They give the punishment for an act. And I just explained how it's purely secular versus religious yeah. and that they both correlate. That's what, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Presented like just those facts and then. Do you have a copy of it? I mean, I just have this, like my paper. Oh, for sure. You want to send it? Yeah, I can send it to you. Cool, cool. I'll send you my email. Yeah, send me. Send yeah, me I'll your, send you yours as well. <laughs> but uh, I basically just presented that, and um, that's safe, and man. I had a bunch of questions because people had never thought of it. Like, no that's one awesome. has thought of it or presented. Like, they were like, "How'd you come up with the word?" And I said, "Because to me, I think that pseudo is a word that people know right. as fake almost. Right. But in reality, it's a synthetic like pseudo you used, synthesis. You know, it's like yeah. It's, if you used fake, it would sound." Not real. Yeah, but pseudo, but pseudo, but pseudo gives that it answers that artificial. It implies that it's not real. It mm -hmm. implies everything that it needed to be, but it's the creation of a human nature, right. a pseudo human nature that was made. Right. Yeah. Because human natures tend to. It was like it's supposed to be natural. Yeah. But it's not. And that, but it's through social socialization and these right. weird norms and things that come out of socialization that inherently have made us who we are. And in order to change that, you need to understand where it comes from, understand the importance that it has now, and, and then understand how to act upon yeah. and change that said importance. Right, and that's that's my way. That's how that's how it's done. And I'm not saying that's the only way, but that's the a typical way in which right. change is enacted. The if you strip it down to the very skeletal structure, that's what you come yeah. up with. Yeah, and that those that. and that those and that the I also talk about deviant culture and right. that social deviance can lead to positive change. Right. And that through deviance disruption. Yeah, and deviance through the yeah deviance through the disruption of the norms. 
thus creates an, uh, um, uh, a case, almost like a courtroom right. decision, in which people have to determine whether the deviation from the norm is acceptable or unacceptable, thus creating taboos and things that are alienated out of human nature, thus things that are alienated out of society right. to therefore eventually be alienated out of human nature. Yeah, I love that. It's like, though, it, it takes upon the quote, just one part of it, it takes upon the quote, like, those who don't, do not know history do not repeat it. Not only that, yeah. but, like, those who do know history are able to alter it based on the societal norms that yeah. are part of it. So if you take the time to understand mm-hmm. and know and reflect on history, you're going to have a much easier time yeah. affecting and enacting the change that you wish to see in the world. And, and it, yes, and I think even the answer to that and the greatest case study of that is why I use this epistemology right. is because of Marx. And I don't think yeah. Marx essentially had it all nailed down. But the way in which he understood his theoretical argument to me made the most sense to make a case for my theoretical argument. And that the ideas in which he presented in his argument of Verstehen, explaining the historical way to explain something to then compound theory onto that, was the be- the only way I felt that I could explain that, like what you just said or get someone to like even... Like, like, get to that point, yeah. you know? So my hope and dream would be to make this my PH, my dissertation yeah. and eventually publish this. Um, but I might, you know, just save it. But, yeah, I think this is, like, something I want me my life's work to start writing and compounding, like, you know, elements just of everything. it. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Not even, it's not just everything, but, like, compounding, like, just the idea of it and then letting the theoretical, like, as much as I feel I can prove, because I want right. to add more Eastern philosophy I want to add Zoroastrianism. I want right. to add Ma- uh, Taoism because I've been reading into like Taoism a little bit and hearing about why it's one of the most prescribed uh, or followed religions right. in the Eastern world too, you know? Right. And look at those and if I can definitively say as I continue this theory, if I can apply those thoughts and see where the, the transition of norms from the ancient world per- you know, progress too. I almost guarantee you can because there is a... If the, if where where you find society, yeah. you're going to find a norm. And where that right. norm is, it had to have come from somewhere. Yeah. So where are you going to find it? Yeah. You know? And then how does that... And if you do find that norm, and if they didn't create it themselves, well, who the fuck created mm-hmm. it? Then you can finally go back to one of the original pieces. And then if it does a link back to one of the original pieces you talked about, mm-hmm. it's just fucking gold for you yeah. because you put it right in. That's mm-hmm. so sick. Yeah. Chase yeah. society. Yeah. And I also feel like one thing that I was fearful of is... Uh, talking about like his what uh glenn goodwin always said was that an anthrop if you're a sociologist and the anthropologist <laughs> is always going to come knocking down your door yeah so be prepared you know always and i was thinking about like a lot of tr- uh, anthropologists obviously study tribes and right. of these uh, you know uh usually um untouched by the outside world but nice. i felt as though i could argue that and say that those tribes the ones we know about we can look and say how their norms were analyzed Thus that, but they don't live within the nature we live in because right. they were not exposed to the same patternization. Right. Thus that the knowledge at which we are talking about, and this is something I always say, they don't have access to the knowledge we have because their socialization, they didn't reach our socialization. They're not part tells, of the human, the pseudo human. They're not nature. part of the, yeah, because they're socialized, they're socialized patterns and their ways of an- analyzing what is natural, what is spiritual, all that yeah. is a... It's, it's able to be analyzed because Durkheim does it and says that right. they just do it because of socialized functions. But theirs True. isn't compounding to the pseudo-human nature that's prescribed through the progression of living in 
these large-scale Society modern type, societies, yeah. you know, but those are ancient tribes that mm. have preserved their rites and rituals. Thus, they are the deviants that exist of the pseudo-human nature. Right. Thus, makes me feel, comp- like, when I came to that conclusion, it was years later, that right. the deviancy... How old it, are you? No. <laughs> but I mean, like, it yeah, was yeah. years, years ago it that was, I did this. It was like, yeah. But, like, it, it was, was like that, that I, I thought about it and I was like, shit, like, that means that I'm saying the same thing, that my analysis on the norms yeah. exists and it, you know, needs to exist, but that right. there's even a first critique is that, like, uh, you know, not everyone exists in it. And I think that that's fair, that there's a way to that people can deviate it. away from my own theory on everything. And it, they could exist within it, but not in it, because they're the it. deviant. Yeah, it, it, it's almost, it shows that it's not natural. Because if it was natural, that means every single person would and be that, a part of this yeah. like societal. Norm. And that's why the pseudo human nature is like this. The only, like this is why I'm like so into it is because I think it exists right. that we live in it without without it ever been really labeled. It's always it's it's somewhat like the very essence and very tip tip of the iceberg is almost memed in a sense where everyone always says time is a social construct. People mm-hmm. who always joke, it's always like, oh, like, what's that? Well, time is a social construct. Yada, yada, yada. It's always just a joke. Mm-hmm. But, if, but if you take that sentence and you just fucking dive 200 feet deep, you'll finally get to where Armand is. Well, no, of, like, it's not construct. even, bro. Durkheim says it. He explains it perfectly. And it's like, that's part... Like, Durkheim does give... But Durkheim only explains the religious way in right. which... How religion has create religion itself right, as a right. socialized. I'm saying like that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying like you like. Oh yeah, it's the re- same the, thing. The reason why you're so yeah, but the reason why you're so deep is like you know people always say oh time is a social contract, but it always yeah. stops there at the joke. You have like put this fucking FBI <laughs> yeah. board and started like putting strings <laughs> and the really like, Sunny Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> sunny always sunny. Like, he's like, look at this. Yeah, and you're posting like everyone so together. Bad. Yeah, like you're posting like you're putting every single fucking one yeah. together, which is why like okay. Cool. And, like, you title it, Time is a Social Construct. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, yeah. this is what people understand. Then you show them, like, what the fuck that's, you're actually yeah, that is, That's what I'm that's to That's a 200 feet deep. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like, people talk about this at the tip of the iceberg, but if you finally dive 200 feet deep, you'll finally get to where Armand yeah. is in this fucking thesis. And this, was, so and this was just the, obviously, the school one. And, like, what I've worked right, on, too, right. is actually the analysis of the personal self, spirituality, and right. added even, like, more of the actual level of like metaphysics to it for it to be a theoretical analysis and like i talk with daniel and we've i have like these beings of why we are interconnected but socialization is a limitation of that and he's heard that this is like this podcast helps me get like learn things to build to that low key too so thanks for everyone listening you know but um yeah (laughs) yeah sorry any questions or no well i already know your answer to this and you kind of already said that you were going to i was just gonna ask you so you're not planning are you planning on writing other books other than like you said you wanted to publish your thesis would you be like because a lot of history majors write books right yeah so their primary source of big income honestly besides teaching would you would you ever think about writing books after your career in um in the military military yeah leadership yeah no so i've always wanted to make this my book especially when i still wanted to become a teacher that was what i would hope i would do i Mm -hmm. I didn't know if i wanted to teach at the high school level or the college level yet Mm -hmm. um at that time but what i knew definitively was 
I wanted to make that thesis of like the origins of okay. of the Constitution. Oh, so you knew that into for a, a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I yeah, and I'm yeah, I've always. We talked. this is like what we would talk about is like because I I we never really went to like he's explained to me his thesis mm-hmm. like those things before, but this yeah. is more in depth. Mm-hmm. We've, we've talked talk- like you never talked about publishing, but I think it's always been something we've like wanted to do. Yeah, we've always talked. It's, it's, yeah, it's like we we talked about this in mm-hmm. this kind of way, but we've never gone in never. depth as much as like we have like right here and actually it's really always been about like oh what are you doing oh cool this is like what i'm doing yeah, yeah. we're gonna write our books one day and they're gonna be really sick you yeah. know but like this and honestly ever since like graduating i haven't i haven't touched it and it's not mm. that like, i don't want to but like you just it's fight out really took like there is no time yeah you know and i wish i was like i had the yeah. opportunity to travel to the most world-renowned colleges sometimes you gotta just you know? like and i feel like you gotta like allow yourself to do things that you want to do other than things that you need to do right right and and i and i wish i did you know like being at say like the university of nebraska where they mm. have like one of the biggest libraries the university of washington where like their library is literally a castle and really yeah oh my god it's insane and just not taking advantage of like the history that's there and like the more I can like expand on you mm. know stuff because like as much as like I've gotten out of UCLA and USC and La- you know and Laverne to some respect mm. um there there's so much untapped knowledge that was never at like those schools that and fucking even like access Chase, to exactly you, right? that like I could have and I could have expanded this book if I went more in depth with it and like actually like you know like so is there just going. the I know a lot of libraries have their stuff on the internet. Is their stuff, like, not put... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, like, so every history major occasions the good old JSTOR mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, Google Scholar and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. th- to me, and but the ones on those sites are often kind of like... It's like they're, like, ripped out pages in a sense yeah, to where, where like, like, you only get PDFs. some. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, there is nothing... There's nothing that beats like the feeling of grabbing like, like reading, this old text, like reading a book, and like, dude, yeah. like when, so. Let me when I was doing exactly. my research for this, like, the the books I was pulling off the shelf for my uh, Durkheim were originally published, and the the print date of the books were like 1915, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm holding a book from 1915 in my hand from the University of Laverne Library because someone donated it at one point. That's crazy. Or something, exactly. like, back then. Mm-hmm. But, the, and you can, these books, sometimes people haven't picked up these books, because the Laverne Library, like, they used to be big on these liberal arts, mm-hmm. and that the library yeah. was, like, the Wilson Library was utilized in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as time went on, it's become just a hub for students. And so there's these be, these relics of books that people probably are dying to read around the nation Mm-hmm. for re- research yeah, there's or just gra- to have yeah. and that they just sit there but we were lucky because we any book you could want you could get because we had such a good library system it too mm. like Absolutely if, you, if you wanted something they could get it across the nation shipped over and you could have yeah, it for that's a few at weeks Cal State Fuller yeah. Too. yeah but even that we had a small school like we had a lot of the books like i had all insane. most of the books i needed most of the Either books are over there too, yeah. Or upstairs, like if I wanted, I was going through Time magazines looking for yep. shit. We had all of the Time magazines. We had yeah. local, like just 
LA Times, like just if you needed a headline or to yeah. find someone's opinion on something that was going on, like you mm-hmm. could find it. You could, and and the, the there were always primary, like stories and primary yeah. accounts. Like you would actually, and that was a big thing in history. It's like you can, you can use a tertiary or like a secondary type source, but it's not going to have as much sway as a primary source. Yeah. Yeah. Like reading the actual text that these guys been and yeah like and those some of those books that you know that I got some of them like were from Laverne mm-hmm. and the yeah like the fact that they had like these books that are literally like minutes and things like written by and said by like said out loud and written down and now like, it's in the palm of your hands at mm-hmm. like yeah. the, at Laverne is like one of the most craziest things yeah ever and like you know Obviously, we're you know we're history majors, so it's mm-hmm. it's fun for us to talk about, it. and like we can talk about it like this, yeah, and like act like we're like in love with it because we yeah. are. But like people, every like everyday people at like Laverne don't they'll just pass by that the first three sections of the library. Oh, not dude, the knowing. first three sections has great stuff back Absolutely. there about like world history and stuff too. Everything yeah. and like not only like are they about world history, you know, by like great scholars in their mm-hmm. own right who like wrote about the history, but like. They have actual first-person accounts of said yeah, history. Yeah, there's diaries like, of, in there, too. And like, mm. texts, yeah. yeah. And, you know, even, like, a... Even, like, a, like, like say, like, a Hitler, like, Mein Kampf-type vibe. Mm. Like, they have, like, the original text of people that scholars study. Yeah, the, like the they, analysis of yeah. Exactly, exactly. They have, like, they have the scholars' analysis books that you can read um read upon and be like okay yeah like i was thinking that but then not only that if you want to derive like your own thoughts on it you can literally check out said book mm-hmm. that they that the scholars that they used to that, that they wrote on, on. exactly yeah. for now for you to like you know go in big like, okay you know this scholar thought this thing but like okay now i kind of want to read it and then you and then laverne offers like that book that the scholars actually like, yeah about, it's cool that like like i could check out a book from the 1900 like that night i had literally used to carry around two backpacks uh that whole semester people used to see me rolling with i mean you might have even two backpacks i had one on my like my gray one and my black one Mm -hmm. black one had every book that i needed to just have on me like if i was doing like research or like if i was doing online research and then i was like that doesn't seem like where is that place in history i had my book on babylon right there Mm -hmm. would go to that author who like was just a expert on it would read what they put mm-hmm. be like okay then i would put it in my notes or write it in the write my sentence how i wanted it to sound with with the citation that you know proof like i got my first source that maybe a tertiary then i went to the secondary source you know someone mm-hmm. who translated the code of hammurabi mm-hmm. like i was reading that person's little like thing mm-hmm. to get to get what was actually said from someone who explained even first when they I read the preface, they they explain how they studied this language to get to this language to get to this language mm-hmm. to try to attempt to do this, and this is what was concluded upon. And I analyzed it even against other translations to get you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it you know that even that is important when you're looking at it. So having like books in the library to see that from the like early times when they found out what these things were like analyzing for me ancient things mm-hmm. that was like so useful and being able to take it with me home yeah that was me too i literally had i had my the, like the, i always had this brown satchel that just had like my notebook my laptop and like everything like that mm. but i had this fucking tote bag 
of a of a company that I was like shooting photos for mm-hmm. that he would always just send like his clothes in, mm-hmm. just give it to me. But like right when I took the clothes out, literally we just stack my books in this oh, tote yeah. bag and just walk around with it everywhere. When I went to went like I said when I was working at the middle school, I had my mm-hmm. backpack, and my tote bag, bring it in. I had the fucking uh, post it little strips. Mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. in my either in my back pocket or in like that tote bag because whenever I was reading I would always make sure to like put the little post-its like whenever yeah. and, I, and I color coordinated too it's like I color coordinated when like I found it was like red for uh, Greeks or red for civilizations mm-hmm. it was like green for documents and then blue for like historical figures mm-hmm. and always when I, when when I found a piece of text that like when the founders reference one of those said things, I'd mm. fucking slap it, just you know, put it, slap yeah. it on so fast mm. because, uh, cause you never know like when you're going to, if you yeah, need it, if you yeah. exactly like you'd be reading, you're like, Oh shit. Like, like, you know, like the whole meme right now, like, like write that down, write that down, yeah. you know? And like, mm-hmm. you would always want to do that. So mm-hmm. I would always just make sure like they're at the ready. And, uh, but yeah, the, the double book bag during the thesis is definitely, uh, is definitely a common theme yeah. you see without, uh, throughout history. Yeah, definitely. I would, no, I would understand that. I mean, I don't have to write anything like that, even close to that. But I mean, like, I was writing things, like, for uh, for my sports marketing class where it was a lot, but nothing compared to what you guys were. It was a, it was a good time. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy to me to think that the time that I wrote that thesis mm-hmm. was the same time I was president for the first semester. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, he was crazy. I, I can't imagine all that work and in one thing, and then you're putting in all that. Yeah, see that? Even that shows <laughs> me right there where it's like, wow, this dude literally was, like, inspired to do shit. 15 minutes in this donut, though. Yeah. That was, that was, that that was, was the that semester. Was, that was the highlight. That was literally what I was saying. Like, 50, he gave me 15 minutes mm-hmm. in his donuts. And it, and it wasn't like, and, and I feel bad because like that isn't me. Yeah. Uh, actually, like, you know, yeah. artificially. It was, it was literally a... Like, I genuinely want to interview the Fikaya class mm-hmm. president because at that point I knew I wasn't getting a little. So honestly, like, I I'd always joked about with them, like, not interviewing me. But mm-hmm. I, I was honestly grateful that they didn't interview me because, like... It takes the, a the lot whole of time. Point of, the whole point of interviews is, like, to find, like, your little and your big. Yeah. And, and at first, you know? Yeah. Um... And at that point, I knew, like, I wasn't going to, like, get one. Mm. Um, but but I definitely wanted to, like, interview yeah. Armand. And um, it, it literally, it just happened to be the only time I was free, like, yeah. like within that time. within mm. like Because they, they have, like, fucking allotted interviews, like, a number mm. of interviews that they need to get done, like, week to week. Yeah. And I was like, well, fuck, like, I owe Armand this interview. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in. And, and yeah, it just happened to be on like one of the busiest fucking weeks. And I was like, and I came in, I was just like, dude, I'm so sorry, but we got like 15 minutes. It was pretty funny. Like, I I mean, it was just hilarious to be like, just text everyone and be like, yeah, 15 minutes. It was pretty funny, you know, 15 minutes or less could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Absolutely. No free ads. We're not sponsored. No free ads. (laughs) Um, That's facts. um, I guess we should wrap this up. So. Yeah, Dan, I'm sure it's been you, like three hours. Pretty sure. So, Dan, what's your, <laughs> what uh, what's your, what are you feeling? What's been positive? What's been kicking? What you got going on? What's something positive? Oh, yeah, I forgot we said on? that we we're gonna be more positive. Yeah, this was seen? a pretty positive episode. I would it say. was a pretty positive episode. Yeah, I'd like to say so. Yeah, Dan, you have no more like. Uh, on no. That? Oh, um. Well, today. Uh, nah, actually, no. Nah, fuck it. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, uh, Brian, thanks for coming, bro. Yeah, Honestly, thank you. Thank, it's been Dude, it's been a good day. Guys. It's been oh pretty lit. Uh, it really has been. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. good conversation. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing. And um, I know, like I, I, you know, I appreciate seeing you. It's been a minute. It's really nice seeing. Been, yeah. It's nice seeing your face too, instead of um, just hearing you die on Call of Duty. Like, that's <laughs> much better. bro, that's facts. Um, but yeah, I thank scream. you. And then. Um, do you want, right, oh. well, I want to say also, yeah. uh, please plug, because I know you're doing Parmy Boys, give that yeah. a little bit after, and then cool. plug anything you want and you know, when you when you finish up. But awesome. Yeah, uh, I just want to say it was like, I always like meeting Armand's friends because he always talks about them a lot, or brothers, I mean, not friends, but, uh, and I... He, I don't think he's ever really talked to me about you, but it's, yeah. it was really, it's really cool to meet you. And I think that you're going to be very, uh, what's it called? Successful. So <laughs> it's like, sorry. Good dramatic pause. It just kind of was like, whatever, yeah. Yeah, out of my head. But I think you're going to be a successful dude. And I, I can't wait that. to see like what you're going to do. Cause I think that you're going to be a great leader for whatever you're going to do. Yeah. So. He, was, he was a great leader and is a great leader. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate So, that. yeah, plug yourself. Dang, for yeah. A bit. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for inviting me on, yeah. too. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. I've, I've talked to Armand about this. I think it's yeah, been so months now. He, he mentioned it a while ago, and just, it was, uh, you mentioned in December. Like yeah, around December. December. Um, and uh, I oh, just said. we didn't really release we, in December. Yeah, we've been, yeah. we kind of just took a little hiatus and uh, help, self-help, got I on our track. Finals. Dan had finals, you know, I was yeah. doing my, my birthday was around then, it was right, holiday, right. so, um, you know, it's been, this is an, our, one of our, this is our 2020 kickoff, really, we're getting back into the groove oh, of things, I love it. so, and I honestly, like, I texted you, I said, you, dude, you tell me when you're free, because you were the one always, like, traveling, like, yeah, I remember facts. after you graduated, I like, I didn't even too. know when, yeah, you'll come back, yeah, seriously, um, but, um, we can bring on another bro too. We'll make it a little, make it introduce someone else, and you can bring in the dynamic. Dude, but um, I'd, I'd be down for that. Um, but no, like I didn't think you'd be free or want to do it. I didn't know what you were, yeah. where you were, like because you were in Ohio for a while. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you came, dude. It was, it's been excellent. But yeah, plug yourself. Let us know what you Absolutely. got going on. What mm. tell people where they can follow you, and then um, we'll put it in our like. Yeah, no, of course. So you can follow me everywhere. Uh, Ryan Hoffman 007 Ryan Hoffman 007 that's on Twitter Instagram uh, TikTok most specifically if you want to follow me there um, yeah and then I do have another account uh, I also have a podcast with myself gotta bring these guys on here soon uh, <laughs> called Parmy Boys basically what me and uh, my friend Sebastian do is that we go to different restaurants very established restaurants and uh, we tried their most famous popular foods with garlic parmesan. What and, garlic? What kind of garlic parmesan? Like craft? Um, no, like the like, shake bottle. No, no, like we we get like our own. Basically, like what we do is like yeah. So we, it's actually craft parmesan cheese, but it, then it's like this really good parmesan spread, mm-hmm. and we kind of combine it ourselves. And, like we kind of make it ourselves, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we take it to the place, and then we use it as like a dip. It's either like a dipping sauce or we like smother oh, it. Oh, like, so you make you bring it yourself. We bring it ourselves, you, oh, and then okay. we put it on okay. the said products. I thought you were going to places where they had like really good garlic. Parmesan. No, 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 absolutely you're not. BYO, BYO, yeah, PG. yeah. It, it's your. Yeah. It's literally like bring your own garlic parmesan, and, and that's what we do. So, like, two goals with this. GP. 
two goals with what we want to do with our podcast. Number one goal is we want our own line of garlic parmesan to come out where it's like that already mixed sick. and already like done. Mm-hmm. Literally has a Parmy Boys brand around it, sold everywhere. Mm-hmm. Big dream right there. But then the other one, the more like attainable, quicker one, we're going to create a top 100 list of the best foods to have with garlic parmesan cheese so you don't have to. So yeah, that's ba- nice. basically what we're saying is like, hey, if we find out that a place sucks ass with garlic parmesan cheese, you're going to never have to so, try that. So there's going to be 101 episodes realistically. Um, of this. No, no, no. Like, so, because then on, or right, 101 right. would be the first well, 100 list. Right, list. right. So no, uh, not necessarily. Okay. It's uh, We try multiple foods at a time. Oh, so okay. like, for example, uh, the last one we went to was um, Panda Express. And uh, I tried orange chicken and fried rice. So, like those are like my two I tried. Okay. And then Sebastian tried like Beijing beef, broccoli beef. And then chow mein. So, like, those are going to be five different food groups. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So, it's like, if you want chow mein, because, like, you know, people order a lot of different stuff from, yeah, from places. True. So, it's like, hey, if I might want garlic parm on my orange chicken because it tastes bomb, but, like, I might not want it on my fried rice because it honestly tastes a little bit wonky, you yeah. know? But, like, you still want to bring it just in case. Um, so, same thing with, same <laughs> okay. thing with, uh, same thing with In-N-Out. Like, yeah. we tried it on a double-double. And then we tried it on, like, French fries because they're two different food groups. Yeah, so it's sounds like, kind of fire. We'll have, oh, way. dude, they got some top fucking ratings, 8.5 and 8.0, if, oh, if I'm oh, not what's mistaken. The, oh, wait, 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 wait. How are these being scored, bro? What's the... uh, Just, like, one bite, everyone knows. Oh, is that just, it? Like, right, yeah. right. and bro, hey, you got to listen to the podcast. That was actually out right now. Yeah? It's Parking only, Boys yeah, is out. Parking everywhere? Boys, episode one, everywhere. Spotify, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you want. Here, I'll even, I'll, I'll show you guys a little, uh, little thing thing. Here it is. See, Parmy Boys Pod right here. Oh, nice. That's Damn, we, you made your own. Uh, yeah, we got the whole logo so with the seven eye cooking. Yeah, on the we top. might have to. Yeah, we might have to contract you to make a lo- yeah. uh, some secondary logos. Honestly, for us. bro, I got you guys. <laughs> I got you guys. But or yeah, so, first and dairy logos, and we can use first and dairy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So love the it. primary logos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like well, I was think since. Well, I don't know if we want to announce. Okay, something. we'll get after that. Yeah. But yeah, keep yeah. going on Parmy so, Boys. So, yeah, Parmy Boys, um, our first episode is out now. That is the In-N-Out uh, traditional double-double and fries that we talk about. Um, very great episode, not mm-hmm. gonna lie. Honestly, some of uh, some of our best comedic genius that Seb and I have together. Seb is hilarious. Yes. Sebastian. And uh, somehow, some way, when Seb and I specifically get together, like no matter what we're doing, we'll just look at each other and somehow just burst into tears. So literally, <laughs> is a it is a combination of talking about garlic parm, but then also the combination of the the sheer stupidity that we have together, right. and it just makes for great content. That's right. so. Uh, please go check it out. Have um, you have you thought about doing it as a YouTube series? Yeah, so do we we bring the whole fucking nine. So like good. We'll, okay. So like yeah. what we do? I was, I was gonna say a lot of. Yes. I feel like a lot of people. I would, would definitely would love that. to watch yeah. that. So like what we do is like, and, I, and this is uh, our, our next stop is to get like a um, like a table cover. But what we do is we we I have this plastic table, and we always go to the restaurant and we set up the plastic table in the parking lot and then have a camera facing us but it has the logo of the restaurant in the back <laughs> yeah as we eat this is so you yeah, so this is some time. yeah well you gotta get we one we gotta do a collab but yeah i want to use food and dan, and dan we need the whole bring our yeah, yeah dude yeah. we're bringing the whole thing so like you review yeah. it our food. <laughs> you guys come on as yeah, one last point like hey we last, got we got the fun. guys yeah, from one last point here trying garlic parmesan with us you guys can choose the restaurant wherever you want to go if you want to come around here we're more than down to come out here um but the number one thing is has to have a parking lot with with some available space so we won't get a ticket uh, for stealing a dude, parking spot. I just but, thought of a good one. The hat. Dude, I'm down. 
That'd be fun. That'd be sick. That'd be, down that'd be sick. Yeah. We could all have like funky hats too. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. <laughs> like that while we do funny. it. Yeah. So uh, that'll be. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you guys would do tomorrow, but we're recording tomorrow. If you want, yeah. if you want to try to figure something out, just just let us know your schedules. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But yeah, so look for Parmy Boys. Check it out wherever podcast or podcast pod, podcasts are listened to. Most likely Spotify. Yeah. Um, thank you everyone to listening. Thank you Ryan again for coming on. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to add? Um, th- no, I don't think so. Um, love you guys. Proud to be a fi, and yeah. uh, can't wait for the next one because I yeah. think there's a lot of uh, a lot of untalked about stuff. I think we just gotta have a round two. Go yeah, ahead. We will. Uh, maybe we'll bring Seb on next time too. That'd, that'd be fun. Dude, yeah, so uh, it would be, be sick. Yeah, that yeah. Be So um, what I was gonna say. Uh, so everyone, if you're listening, if you made it to the end, thank you all for listening. Daniel and I really appreciate it. Um, we want to just highlight. Please go follow us on our social medias. Um, you, I'm gonna put this at the beginning. So thanks to who listened to it again. Um, but also we started a Discord server. So if you'd like to join our Discord server, we're gonna try to be doing some unique things on Discord. To try to make try it more to interactive. A- yeah, try to create a community of which where our intellectual questers are allowed to communicate with each other yeah. and spread ideals throughout the galaxy. Yes, that is exactly what it is. We just want to make that kind of community to create conducive content and to be a hub of positivity. You'll also be able to talk to me or Armand because we're always on Discord right yeah, now. Yeah, we are always on Discord. So it's yeah. like you'll always be able to message us and... Bother yeah. us and mm, all those things. Yeah, and if you have anything you want to send us, articles, anything, we'd Any, love to. Yeah, there's there's literally things where we, where it says write, send articles where we can talk about them. Send topics about last episode that you want to talk about in the Discord. We have dedicated channels for music, dedicated channels for gaming, dedicated channels for anything. So you use it for anything. Invite anybody that you want. Um, if anything goes crazy, our mods or me will kick you out, of course, but like, um, yeah, we're monitoring it, but, but it's not, it's not, it's not like, uh, we're limiting people. Anybody can join it and have a conversation and be a part of it. But if it's getting kind of wild, then, you know, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everyone. So go check us out on everything. Check out Ryan and yeah, that's for Shody. <laughs>